Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the I Gotta Ask podcast. My name is Daryl Oliveira. I am the host of this program. And if you're new to the show, this is a podcast where I invite people that I think are doing some pretty awesome things to chat with me about their projects and really anything else that might come up during our our time um, speaking to each other. Uh, So thank you for tuning in. I really hope you like what you hear. And uh, if so, please continue to follow the show in the upcoming episodes because I think I've got some some fairly exciting guests coming up uh, for me to speak to anyway. And I really hope you enjoy those conversations as well. Returning listeners, Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with me again. It's very appreciated, and I love anyone that supports me uh, via listens or any other way that you do. Um, these episodes are, are tough sometimes for me to put out, but uh, when I see the listens and I see the the listenership going up, it's really encouraging. So uh, thank you. Stay uh, stay with me. I plan to release um, an episode every two weeks roughly for the next couple of months anyway. Uh, as I said before, it was a bit of a struggle at the beginning of this podcast to book guests, and I was really inconsistent with how often I put them out, but I really want to try and tighten that up, and I've been having really good luck booking guests lately, so let's uh, cross our fingers and hope that um, I can keep booking the exciting guests that I have coming up for the next couple of months. Uh, so again, thank you for being with me, and uh, continue to listen, please, and thank you. Uh, today's guest is Mike Kasserin. This is episode number 14, by the way. Uh, Mike is the frontman and bass player of the band Somehow Hollow. Uh, Mike has been on the show before. This was a bit of a part two of sorts. And Mike's brother Brad was also on the show about a month back for a part two with him, where we discussed uh, lots of different things, really, but mostly including uh, Somehow Hollow's history and the recording of their latest EP, Chasing Daylight. And I wanted to speak to Mike about the same kind of stuff and get his take on it. So uh, Mike's a real good friend of mine, and uh, it was easy to get him to agree to to join me all the way from Sayoli to Mexico, where he's been living uh, with his wife and daughters throughout this past winter. And uh, needless to say, I'm <laughs> more than just a little bit jealous of uh, where Mike uh, is or was during our, our time of our conversation, uh, being that it was still a bit chilly uh, here in Canada. But um, but regardless, it was great uh, talking to him. I really appreciate Mike's time. Um, and we just flew through the two hours that, that I had set aside to uh, to talk. So uh, so much so, actually, that we already began planning a part three for later this summer. So look out for that in the in hopefully the near future. Um, I really uh, hope you like listening to me chat with Mike as much as I like talking to him. Um, and without further ado, I think I'll go ahead now and, and roll the intro music and uh, we'll get right into it. Enjoy. Hi, how have you been, man? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Um, you know, it is what it is. We're talking a little bit here before the show about uh, about our lives, and I'm I'm glad yeah. to hear that you're doing well. But I'm I'm glad that I'm going to be back to the land of the living very soon. So yeah, it's good to see you. It's always nice soon. when the sun shines. I mean, it's when March is almost ending. It's always oh, absolutely. Uh, the weather's been getting time better. In it's been getting better here. For that's for sure. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard. But speaking of sunshine, I mean, you're you're in Mexico <laughs> right now. And you have been for yeah. the last little while. First of all, let me say it's nice to hear your voice. I haven't heard your voice since yeah. literally this time last year. I think when was the show in Hamilton? March in March sometime. Jan- was it not? Uh, January. Oh, January. Sorry, yeah, January. We did three right? Fridays in a row. Yeah, in, that's right. In January. Yeah, so that would have oh. been the last time I I spoke to you directly. So it's nice to be yeah. hearing your voice again. I mean, I see <laughs> and you online, are, but seeing you at shows is never really a productive chat. It's yeah. always a we got things to do, you know, or it's too loud and it's hard. So it's nice to see you and, you know, just be able to sit here and talk because, you know, I don't, 
you know, especially with Zoom now to be able to see who you're talking to and yeah, express yourself because that's, you know, my thing. I'm not very good on the phone. I'm not a personal, like, yeah. you know, entertainer. Like I'm pretty dry in most cases. And, you know, <laughs> as you go through life, you realize who you are and that's fine. But I like, I like seeing people and, and chatting with them, even if it is over a computer. I, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit, but that's just me. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> so, so you're in Mexico. You've been down there since, I don't know, kind of the early part of the pandemic, right? Well, um, no, we came down here at the end of October. Oh, okay. I didn't and, know it was that uh, late. Yeah, it was pretty late. Um, we decided to go uh, in the summer around, I think it was, uh, you know, August. We finally made a decision to do it. And uh, things have been good, man. We we realized with where our houses were, we, we own a couple properties in Hamilton and Hamilton market is just going crazy. Yeah. And uh, we started, you know, putting feelers out there for what we might be able to be able to rent our, our houses out for. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we realized that what we could, you know, make, you know, renting those to living here in Mexico offset, basically everything. So it's been awesome. Nice, man. <laughs> you know, I, I really don't like to say how awesome it's been. I don't post a lot <laughs> on social media because I, I know how much a lot of people are hurting back home. And I don't like to be that guy that shoves good times in people's faces because, you know, it's, it, it, it it's, it, it makes me feel guilty. I, I feel, I felt, I feel really guilty about being here a lot of times, just knowing what's going on back home and hearing the stories. I, but I, I gotta say, it's been pretty. Yeah. Pretty but awesome. you can't feel guilty for, for your own choices, man, for the stuff you're doing for yourself and your family. I mean, there, there's no shame in that. I mean, it, it is what it is. If listen, if I could take off tomorrow and live in Mexico for the next six months, I think I would do it. You know what I mean? But it, it's not a luxury yeah. that everybody can do, you know, based on like, you know, how, what they do to make a living and everything like that, even if they are currently still employed with the whole pandemic and everything, they can't just pick up and leave. But it's nice that you were able to do that and, and provide that experience for your for your family, which yeah. is amazing, man. Don't feel guilty about it. No, no, no. Uh, we, you know, me and my wife talk about this and, you know, we feel blessed. And the fact that we were in the position at this point in time in our, our lives to do this is definitely a blessing because I know a lot of people that uh, don't have that option and, uh, you know, we made a lot of real estate moves in our younger years. And I, I always say this, basically, when we when I quit somehow hollow, I directly went and worked for my dad in 2004. And I've been doing transportation for, you know, 17, 18 years now. So a lot of people who are still trying to do the music thing or trying to, you know, be a celebrity in their early 20s into their 30s, mid 30s, and then finally quit. I already had 10 years on them of making a living, right? And having kids. So I feel like I'm <laughs> almost semi-retired in a sense, but it's a weird that's feeling. That's not man. even close to true. But I, I yeah, I hear what so, you're saying though. I, I feel the same exact way. Like a lot of my friends are just just now buying houses and stuff. You know what I mean? And it it's yeah. I, I wish they had done it sooner because the market is so tough for them right now. You know what I mean? Like, oh, when, like when you and I were buying houses, <laughs> it it was a whole different market you know and it was easier for us to get into it than it is now absolutely yeah the i we we you know i have the stories of we we've bought 
and sold two or three houses now in Hamilton. And when we bought our first house back in 2006, I mean, we bought our house for, you know, I think it was 118. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's different. Those days. are the stories that your parents tell you, oh, I bought my house for, you know, 20 grand, you know, and I kind of feel lucky that we got in when we did. I feel really, up, I feel upset for uh, the new, you know, millennial um, 20 somethings just getting married thirties. And, you know, even my kids, I don't know what that's going to look like for them. Yeah. But, yeah. I know it's going to be tough, yeah. man. It's, I mean, it kind of is what it is. It's always sort of been that way, but uh, definitely the market is is getting tougher. I mean, jobs have always been what they are. Like if you're lucky to get a good job, then you have a good job and you make good money. But if, mm-hmm. you know, even making like what we're making now, if you and I had to start now and buy a house, like it'd be so difficult. We'd have to save forever. The, the down payments are enormous. Now. Yeah. I, I have no idea how that looks. Yeah. And uh, I know there's a lot of 30 somethings living with their parents still, and I yep. don't blame them. I mean, why wouldn't you save that's all you can do to save as if much you're, as if you're you renting, can. If you're renting, you're not going to be able to save that down payment. So what do you do? Yeah. Right. And I, I never wanted to be house poor. I was never a house poor guy and it was never worth it to me. So yeah, it sucks. <clears throat> it sucks, man. I've been there myself and it's yeah. not, it's not fun. So if you can avoid it, yeah, of course. But how do you avoid it nowadays? I don't know how they do it. No idea. Um, this this is a part two, by the way. I, like, I know it's been a few yeah. years since you guys were on. Uh, you and Brad were on together. Um, right. And uh, for anyone listening to this episode, I'm going to go ahead and assume that they've been following the show and have heard the first one. Um, but Brad and I went into, he was on the show about a month ago. By the time this is released, it'll have been, a, been about a month ago. And um, we revisited some of the older stuff, and he told me he retold me some of those stories uh, that we talked about the first time. Went into them a little bit more in depth, and I kind of want to do the same with you, if that's all right. Um, yeah, man. Uh, you know, just in the early days of Somehow Hollow, uh, you know, like that coming into that first record, uh, or make the sort of the the process of writing and recording that first record. Um, take me back to that time. Like, how did you? I know you moved from. Uh, Cambridge to Grand Bend, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and then yep. you went to school in Stratford. Correct. So you met up, and is that where you met Drew and Kent? Was when in in high school in Stratford? Yeah. Um, so yeah, part two. I wanted to go. You know, I just wanted to let everyone out there know that you know Brad was just on the show, and I listened to it finally. And I don't have the gift of gab like Brad has. <laughs> so if this is boring for you, I apologize. It's but, not going to be boring. Uh, yeah. It's not going to be boring. My brother can talk for four or five hours. <laughs> and he, you know, he he remembers things in great detail where I may be a little <laughs> cloudy. But uh, yeah, so, so yeah, basically everything really, we were always a music family. I think we talked about this. And um, when... I was going into high school. My mom wanted us to go to a Catholic school. There were no options being in Grand Bend. There was uh, Exeter and Forest High School, which Forest, my brother and sister were going to because they're my brother's five years older and my sister's two years older than me. And uh, so my mom wanted us to go to a Catholic school and she somehow discovered this option of being bussed in from Grand Bend to Stratford, um, we started on a mini bus that took us into Exeter, and then we got transferred to a big yellow bus with a bunch of kids hmm. from like Zurich, Exeter, um, all different 
towns in uh, southern Ontario that their parents also wanted them to go to Catholic school. So you had a wide range of kids who kind of knew each other. Yeah. You know, I had two or three friends from the, the, the school I went to. Kids from Exeter had a couple friends they knew. So it was kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Stratford was the best thing that I think could have happened for myself. Um, more of a blessing than anything. It was just uh, the friends I met there and the music connections I made in Stratford were, you know, I, I have friends from high school to this day that I still stay connected with that mm -hmm. are just the salt of the earth dudes. You know, I would do anything for them and uh, I believe they would, you know, do the same for me. Sure. So, um, yeah, so I started going to school in Stratford. Um, and the way I met Drew, I met Drew first before any of these guys. Um, Drew was in a band, I believe, called Anger Doesn't Help. And there was this club in uh, Stratford called the 10 Day Cafe, yep. which was this little underground kids hangout shows, um, free for all beer drugs it was <laughs> you would never see it fly in this day and age and you know i say i'm lucky when we go back and i say i'm lucky to live in the era we lived in this uh, this plays a big role in it because it was just a cool hangout there was three high schools in stratford where kids would just meet up there after school there would be a show every weekend you know my bands would play you know, twice a weekend, every weekend. And it was, uh, it was just a great time. So Drew was playing in this band called Anger Doesn't Help. And uh, he was a fast punk drummer. He looked cool. Uh, really wanted to know the guy because he was just soft spoken. And he just had this cool factor. Mm -hmm. And he was a great drummer. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta get to know this guy because I was thinking I wanted to start mm -hmm. doing a punk band. At the time, my high school band was kind of this Rage Against the Machine. Uh, we started out as a cover band in the you know 90s. You had we did covers of Green Day, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Rage Against the Machine. It was just a mixed bag because you know, but we we started out as a tragically hip cover band called Grooveyard. <laughs> so I liked it, but it wasn't really my my niche. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we just, I started getting into punk really heavily in the nineties there. Like a lot of people after the explosion of, yeah. you know, green day and rancid and, uh, wanted to kind of get into that, you know, and drew, he had that same, you know, trajectory into that style of music. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so I started this band, um, was I that, shouldn't say was that. that broken throttle. Was that that with that band? Yeah. 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 That was broken throttle. And uh, I could talk about them and we should, we should in a little bit here, mm -hmm. but uh, we're talking about how I met Drew specifically. And I'm trying to remember this, this is a long time ago, but I started hanging out with Drew um, and Sean Till was yep. a good friend of Drew's because they went to the same high school together. Ah, okay. So we started jamming as a band called uh, Fall Alexandra, I believe. And we were kind of like a technical three-piece. Tiller played guitar, I mm -hmm. played bass, and Drew played drums. So um, 
yeah, basically that's how I met Drew. I started sticking around with him um, and I slept over constantly at his parents' house because um, I didn't want to go ride the bus home anymore to yeah. Grand Bend. So yeah. I, you know, stay at Drew's house. We would jam in his basement. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I met both those guys was through this um, this little club called the 10 Day Cafe. And that's how I met a lot of these people. Nice. Um, so that was kind of the early incarnation of uh, Somehow Hall. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then grade 10, Ken Abbott started going to school at the same high school I did. His mom was a teacher there. Oh. And uh, so he came in and I was in grade 10. He was in grade nine. And he was like this little punky, you know, basketball-y kind of kid who, you know, dyed his hair blonde. And you could tell, like, he was like, we were like, you could tell he's staring me down and I was staring him <laughs> down. Like, oh, he, he was wearing a rancid shirt and I was wearing a rancid Sizing shirt. Sizing each other up. Yeah. So I met Kent uh, in high school. He was, he was uh, one year younger than me or maybe two. No, I think one. Um, and uh, his friends were, you know, they, he had a brother, his brother Cole was a big dude and older. I think Cole's one year or two years older than me. So Kent kind of had this little, like, I'm this cool, you know, I'm this cool kid and you can't touch me because my brother's going to pound you if you do. <laughs> right. So he had this little chip on his shoulder and <laughs> I kind of like that, you know, because I wasn't exactly a cool kid and, you know, I could use some help, but, uh, <laughs> They started calling me rancid and stuff. I remember this, him and, you know, a bunch of friends that I still hang out with to this day. They're like, hey, rancid, what's happening? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but that was their way of being like, oh, you know, this guy's cool. He knows a lot about music and he wanted to, you know, get involved with what I was doing. Sure. So that's how I met Kent. And, uh, he sniveled his way into this band that we were doing, um, Fall Alexandra. So he didn't even, he, he was a bass player at the time. Uh, he had this little like Hondo piece of crap bass that, um, I, I can't even remember what it was, but, uh, we were like, Kent, okay. If, if you're going to play in this band, the only way you're playing is if you play guitar. And, uh, he said, yeah, I'll play guitar. I want to play. So we were like, okay, we'll give you a chance. And he ended up borrowing uh, one of Drew's dad's guitars. Oh, wow. And uh, I forget what kind of guitar it was, but it was this cheap yeah, cheap thing. And uh, we played through small crappy amps in his basement. And, you know, he was getting by. We were like, okay, he's he's got character. And, you know, he's he can do the job. So... Yeah, that's kind of how the band formed and came to be. Um, we ended up kicking Sean out of the band. Um, I don't really know why. I, <laughs> we maybe, you know, as kids, you just have different ideas and different opinions yeah, on things. And sure. I think Till at the time kind of wanted to be in control um, but really didn't know how to do that, you know, as a, as a 15 year old kid, you're not really, mm -hmm. you know, you think you know what you're doing, but 
I don't know. I don't know what happened. I remember the phone call though. I remember calling him and saying, Hey man, we're going to just go on as a three piece. And that's just it. So yeah, Tiller was gone. So really, you know, as you know, Chantel came back into the band during the um, busted wings era. Yep. And uh, it's funny how that kind of just reciprocated. Um, so yeah, that's the early, early, uh, way the band came together so so now you and kent and drew are playing together and you're writing songs and you're getting a little older so at what point did you guys move in together because i know you said you guys moved you guys lived in a townhouse at some point together is that correct or am i remembering that incorrectly okay so basically the band yeah so we were getting older um we started doing somehow hollow after really when high school kind of ended um we were all working. We were all working at this factory called SPI, which made car rads. Um, and yeah, it was if I remember this correctly, we we rented a jam spot um, out somewhere in the industrial area, and so we were we were jamming as somehow hollow in Stratford when that happened. So we were all working, you know, night shifts and stuff, and yep. we were. We would come and uh, just jam when we could. Mm-hmm. It was great. Like the cops would come, they'd be like, "What's going on here?" And we're like, "No, we rent this place. Like it's totally <laughs> legit." You know, I remember getting pulled over a bunch of times and being like, "What are you doing here? What are you? Why are you breaking into this place?" And uh, yeah, so we were, we had, um, so yeah, we were based in Stratford. That's how the band started, as as with Tiller and then without Tiller. Mm-hmm. Um, but then my brother was touring with grade at the time. Yeah. yeah. He, he had just started in the band. This must've been late nineties. I can't put a date on these things anymore, but he had interest in playing with us because he took a shining to Kent too. And, you know, he liked jam with me. So mm-hmm. he would just come down on weekends when he wasn't, when, when he was available and uh, he would start you know, we had songs written. We had about ten solid tunes written, mm-hmm. and uh, we were we were playing as a three piece all around Stratford in Southern Ontario. Um, I think we played the Refugee Cafe there in um, Galt. Yep. Yes, and uh, so Brad started playing, and uh, he just brought a, a more professional element to the band, where you know we had songs written, but he would do the second guitar lick and right, you know, right, right. the melodicness started coming out a little more and the gotcha. metallic, you know, components started shining through because he taught Kent a lot how to play. So the band just got better. And uh, we played a lot in the Toronto Burlington area because of our connection with those guys, mm-hmm. with, um, with a lot of the bands there that we were, you know, grew up, idolizing like trunk mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. jersey and you know eventually grade we got on some great shows there through those connections and uh i guess we caught the attention of a guy named uh chris who uh goes by the nickname velour and he was starting a record label called east end industries right um so he said he wanted to put our record out so we had recorded three songs for the first album 
And uh, I believe those songs were The Month That Never Ends, um, The Meaning of Me, and City Sinking. Those were the first three recorded SH songs. Hmm. So we did those um, on our own as demos. And I remember um, the guy who recorded us, uh, can't remember his name at the moment, but he had this cool little recording studio right out town, right outside the outskirts of Stratford, a place called Gads Hill. Um, and he was like, dudes, this is awesome. Like you guys got to get some money together so we can do a full length. You know, he's like, talk. I remember this. He's maybe he was just shitting us because he needed some cash or he needed to record, but he was <laughs> like, we got to do more, you know, like this is awesome. I haven't heard upbeat polka punk like this like he wasn't really into the the punk stuff or yeah. the, the fast skate punk stuff so he was like drew what you're doing on drums there's like a up a, a, a punked up polka <laughs> and i was like yeah i guess that's kind of cool and he's like you gotta pool your money get your grandparents you know let's get this together so we were like okay man let's try so somehow when all that was happening the two things were forming we we brought our demos and you know, Valour really liked them. He he actually gave us, I think, like a thousand dollars to record. Wow, he helped you out. Yeah, which was awesome. I mean, I don't know what he was doing at the time. I think he was working like a factory job too. And he he gave us some money. We had probably put in a little of our own, and then we ended up recording the other seven songs that made it on that album. And uh I got to get this guy's name. So I don't know if you want to pause, but I should. Oh, yeah, I know. It's uh, his name was Jay Real. Jay Real. And he played in a bunch of country bands. And, you know, if you look up his name, you'll see he played in a bunch of stuff. Oh, okay. And at the time, he was dating a girl um, named Jake Lesky, who was um, in this country trio called The Farmer's Daughter, hmm. which was. They were pretty popular. Um, really? they, had, they had albums out on Universal. And at the time, that was a, a big deal, right? To yeah. To be on a major label. I've never heard and, of that, uh, that uh, band before, that band name. Yeah. So the, the one song that stands out, obviously, on the first record is Someday. Yeah. And what happened there was we were... That was, I think that was the last song we recorded. I actually... I, I did the acoustic guitar at the beginning. Okay, yeah, yeah. And as... I sang the lyrics. Jay was like, oh, I think I got a really cool idea for this. And we had no idea what was happening. We went home that night. And when we came back the next day, he had tracked Jake's vocals. I see. And we lost our minds. <laughs> we couldn't believe how awesome it sounded. Well, yeah. obviously, she was professional and we definitely were not. So the... <laughs> the extremes of hearing her voice and then, you know, yeah, it kicking in and then my vocals come in. It's kind of cringy to listen to now, but no, it's good, man. I always wondered day, where that came from. It's so funny that you yeah. brought that up. I didn't even think to ask you that. And it's so funny that you bring that up. Cause I just was listening to that. Like last night I, I went through kind of the catalog again to like refresh my memory. And obviously mm -hmm. I don't need any, any refreshing on busted wings because that, like I listened to that album probably 500 fucking times in my life. Um, but, um, uh, <laughs> But the original one, uh, like the it's self-titled, right? That first one, yeah, yeah. And I, I had like that was I discovered that well after Busted Wings. I didn't even know you guys had an album prior to Busted mm -hmm. Wings. So 
So I discovered it kind of late, and then but I was obsessed with Busted Wings, which I want to talk a lot about uh, coming up a little bit later. Sure. Um, but uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I just <coughs> heard that song maybe an hour before I left work uh, tonight, and um, and wondered that that question, and I, and I should have wrote it down to ask you, but it's you brought it up, so I didn't have to. <laughs> I'm glad we made it yeah. without my inter interjecting there. It was, uh, and maybe going off topic here, but it was uh, it was amazing. Really, well, how, when we first heard that, he knew that he did something really cool. His idea completely, we didn't even think to ask Jake. I mean, she's an amazing singer, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And she just crushed it. And so, and then if you listen to the end of the song, there's little like sporadic spread in lines where she sings and he kind of had to, you know, trace it out over top of our sloppiness yeah, blend, blend it in a little bit yeah but it all it all blended in really well when we oh, do yeah. like the call and answer part on mm -hmm. that you know that works out really well too so i gotta give him all the, i gotta give him and jake all the credit for that song and really bringing that part to life because i don't think the song would have been that great had that not happened and you know it's a good tune but it definitely like that that part of the start with her singing definitely like adds a an element to it you know what i mean it's it's a lot uh, sure. it's it's more layered than you would expect a, a typical yeah. like punk song to be from that era right and it's hilarious my kids now who are going to be you know 10 and 7 this coming april mm -hmm. i sing i sing that to my youngest daughter every night before bed oh nice and uh they're singing though that part back to me and i'll catch them singing it oh, you know in awesome. the shower or so yeah it's kind of uh that song to me is the one obviously that stands out but um, if you listen to that album, if you hear The Month That Never Ends, The Meaning of Me, and City Sinking, you can hear the difference in uh, the recording um, sound quality mm -hmm. because the seven songs we did after those three were much more uh, produced. Right. Um, they don't sound as loud if you listen to them. Um, I don't know why they're compressed a little more, I think. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, but there's de there's a definite sound quality difference, mm -hmm. and uh, as you know, that album is up onto uh, on streaming platforms now. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and uh, the funny thing about that is Brad basically just took the CD, dumped it onto Dropbox, and then Get Party Records just uploaded it, and it actually sounds really good. Yeah, it doesn't sound bad. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those streaming platforms, everything's so squished and compressed anyway because yeah. you know they're trying to like get the the streaming to be not so data hungry right you know what i mean like it doesn't really matter by today's standards everyone's got so much friggin' data on their phone anyway or whatever or they're downloading before they leave to go wherever they're going but um mm -hmm. it, everything sounds very like squishy on those streaming platforms you know what i mean and i was telling that yeah. to brad actually we were talking about the the, the new ep um and uh, i was saying that to him how I, I heard it digitally before I heard it any other way. And then I got the CD in the mail, which CDs are compressed already as it is, but the CD right. even sounded so much better than the streaming platform. You know what I mean? Um, and he, claims, sure. he claims the, the vinyl is even better, but I'm not a, I'm not a vinyl guy. So I, <laughs> I wouldn't know that. Yeah. That was um, mastered for vinyl. Yeah. That's what he was telling me. As you guys talked about. Yeah. For sure. yeah. But yeah, that's, um, I know we were talking about the formation of the band and, it's really not all that interesting, but um, no, it is. I man. think I, I, the recording of the first album is kind of cool. Yeah, that and that's um, that's kind of it's nice that we, we got to go get into that a little bit because, like I said, the last time you were here, 
um, you and Brad were actually sitting with me and in, in front of me. And that's the better yeah. way. To, that's the better way to do these things. I hope we can get back to that at some point, um, you know, sooner than later. But absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, the last time you guys were here, we kind of touched on it a bit, but we didn't really get into it too much because we were we had to cover somehow hollow, but also grade because we were talking about Brad and also your involvement in that band. Right. So um, we didn't really get to go into that. And, and that's really why I wanted to have you guys on, because I'm, I'm a fan of somehow hollow. Like I I like grade, but somehow hollow obviously was how I got introduced to you guys and, and got to know you and all that other kind of stuff. So, right. Um, it's nice to go. Yeah. You almost have to do uh, parts four and five on oh, this thing oh we're gonna <laughs> like i want to I I you guys are game for it i want to have you guys back here like i said once this pandemic is is died down or at least slowed down to the point where we can meet in person again i would love mm-hmm. to do, start doing these more in person with the people that are available to do it in person right like like you and brad because you're yeah. close by so yeah, well it's definitely. fun i mean i haven't talked about this stuff in a long time so it's hard to kind of remember a lot of the details yeah it's but, a long time I mean, ago isn't it it's a it's a big part of my life so yeah. i i'm i'm happy you take interest in it. Oh, I and, love it. Uh, yeah. So I like band history anyway, of any kind. Let's move on here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I like band history of any kind. Right. And that's, that's kind of why a lot of the people I have on this show are, are musicians that I know because it, it I want to know how they're, you know, how they all got started and, and how, how it's going for them now and all that kind of other stuff. Yeah. Right? So, um, Absolutely, man. so I, I want to get a little bit into move it a little bit long now. So, so Brad joins the band. How mm-hmm. long after recording the, the first self-titled album? Um, we honestly, it was within months. Oh, I really? think he knew we were going to record. So I think it was like May when May of 2000 or 99, maybe I can't remember. Um, but that's when he started kind of jamming with us. And then I think we re- ended up recording in that summer. Of, I think it was July. You're talking about recording for busted wings, right? No, no, no. The first, um, Oh, did he, did he play on the first album then? Oh yeah! Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, Brad's on the first album. Oh shit! Yeah. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay. Brad was. Uh, and I'll tell you something. Another fun fact about the first record: um, our friend Sean McNabb, who is in the Creep Show now, he was also in the band Jersey. Yep. yep. Um, he was living with me at the time. No, he wasn't living. No, we were. We lived together after the fact, but he. He was a good friend of ours and he was jamming with us in Stratford. He would drive down from Oakville and he started jamming with us, you know, when he could. And so he was, he was almost a part of somehow hollow um, in the early beginnings when we were three piece. So he would jam with us and he probably played on, he probably played a bunch of those songs that ended up on the first album. Oh wow! And uh, he actually was the guy that did, a lot of the harmonies on the first record. Oh, okay. Here we, so yeah, Sean recorded a lot of the harmonies on, cause he's a great, he's a great uh, singer, man. The, he's, you know, he's got pipes. And uh, so we were like, yeah, if we're going to get harmonies, we're going to get Sean to do it. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, Brad played guitar on that album album and Sean uh, did the background vocals. Nice. Nice. And yeah. then, okay. So, so Brad's in the band, he records with you. I, I would assume you guys played a bunch of shows following the recording of that album. We did, but however, um, Brad had to go do his tours with Grade, right. so we we played a lot of shows as a three piece oh, after okay. the album came out. And uh, he would play when he could. I remember sure. we did one show at the Music Center in Burlington with yep. Grade. It was a huge show. It was like it was us, J 
Jersey and grade. And the place was packed and Brad did, he played with us, uh, the opening band. And then he played with grade as the headline. <laughs> nice. Band. That's awesome. So that, that was a good show. That was, that's one that sticks out to me as one of the, the best shows. That's gotta be a lot of fun for someone in the early playing, days. Yeah. The they're early. playing in two bands that are the same show. <laughs> two, yeah. Two different lineups, but in the same, within the same night. Yeah. And then, uh, okay, so that was, you said, around maybe 2000, roughly. Mm-hmm. So when did Busted Wings get recorded? Because I thought that's that was right around the time that Busted Wings got recorded. No, uh, Busted Wings came out in 2003. Wow, it was that. See, it's funny how, like, your memory plays, like, tricks on you. Because I thought it was, like, maybe I was must have been just out of high school, but I couldn't have been. I must have already been a couple years out of high school, for sure, because I graduated, I think, 01. So, well... As you know, somehow Hollow went on a little hiatus for yeah. those couple of years right. because we all started playing with grade. That's right. Yeah. So that's what happened there. Okay. So that makes sense. Now that timeline makes total sense then. That's why it would have been yeah. a few more years before you recorded. For sure. So I, I know you wanted to kind of go into that. And what had happened was me or uh, so Brad was playing in the band and then grades guitar player sean mcgill he was quitting Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. needed a guitar player so brad recruited kent Mm -hmm. so kent said yeah why not i'll go you know tour the world and get paid and have a great time (laughs) who wouldn't you know as a 19 year old 20 year old kid yeah um and uh so that kind of left me and drew Basically, I, I remember I was pretty I was pretty pissed off at the time that <laughs> Brad would do that A and that yeah. Kent actually left. But yeah. you know, twenty years ago, you're pretty immature. Well, and, yeah. you know, that's a lot of things that I look back on on those times is the only thing I can that comes to mind is immaturity. Yeah. In a, in relationships, how we dealt with things as a band, how we dealt with things on the road. Mm, I mean, mm. so, so basically, yeah. So I was, I was pretty upset that that was going down because somehow hollow was kind of getting some steam going and yeah, people really liked the first record. Uh, we were getting good reviews and exclaim, you know, magazine and stuff like that. And, you know, people were taking interest to it. So, mm-hmm. um, but what had happened was before Kent was in grade, I was um, like a roadie for them for grade. I did a couple tours with them through the United States. Yeah. Uh just selling merch and lugging gear. Right. And uh so we actually I remember bringing somehow Hollow's self-titled album on the road with grade and we were selling it at the merch Oh, really? <laughs> um for like 5 bucks or something hey. just so I could get yeah. you know beer money or smoke money or smokes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. People would be like, what's this? And I'd say, oh, you know, Brad from Grades on it. And, you know, this is my band. So not only were you meeting the people, but they'd be like, oh, cool. You know, they didn't really want to buy it, but you kind of were like just it's, staring at them like, yeah, <laughs> five bucks, man. It's a five smart bucks. idea, though, even from like an exposure perspective. You know what I mean? Like for sure. Selling to grade fans all over the all over the place. Like it's yeah, it's smart. That's how a lot of people got to know us in the United States was, yeah. you know, just me pawning off those discs i I remember i I was giving them to a lot of the headlining bands a lot of the openers you know who are like yeah totally man you know and and we ended up did we heard a lot back from a lot of those bands and 
got to tour with a few of them or, you know, at least get a connection for a show in, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Wisconsin or Texas, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of cool. So, okay. So now you guys do the tour or Brad's touring, Kent joins, you kind of jump on board and I know eventually um, Drew jumps in and he's playing drums with, with yeah. Kent. Then, yeah, not to go into too much detail about yeah. that because I know it's been talked about. But um, yeah, so basically Kent's touring in the band now. His first tour he got to do was Japan and Australia. Yeah, which is <laughs> so wild. Now wild. I'm super jealous. I'm like, screw you, dude. Like, yeah. you know, it was uh, it was kind of frustrating. And, you know, Drew didn't really care because he's just like, <laughs> Drew's such yeah. a nice guy. Yeah, he's, he's like, such an yeah, easygoing whatever. dude. And uh so I was kind of pissed off, and then uh, eventually Grade's bass player ends up quitting the band, and they just, you know, just as, you know, I don't know, formality or just the way it happened, but yeah. next thing you know, they're asking me to play. Well, and at first I was logical, hesitant. Right? I was like, I was trying to be this, like, um, proud guy, like, no, no, I don't want to do that because somehow hollows my band, and you know, Kent left and no way I'm leaving, you know, but you know, in my heart, I was like, Fuck, I want to go. I yeah, want to go on totally. Tour. I want to play, of course, play bass for a living. And, you know, so eventually I'm like, yeah, of course I'll do it. And so now me and Kent and Brad and, and, uh, Kyle, um, who was Charles Menez was the drummer. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who, he he went on to play in Avril Lavigne, and mm-hmm. he he now produces Bruno Mars, I think. Yeah, um, insane. He ended up doing way better than any of us uh, yeah, in the music world. It's it's such a crazy um, story. His story. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. So, but we ended up Kent. We ended up kicking Charles out of grade. Not really sure why. I think just <laughs> you know, just like the Sean thing, personalities clashed immaturity i'll keep going back to this yeah you know just not knowing how to deal with other people's personalities yeah and for sure we talked to kyle and said hey listen i think uh i think drew would be much better for this band um just for our own selfish reasons yeah. <laughs> and uh we forced kent to call charles we made kent call him and i remember we were at uh the music gym in Burlington when he called him. And I remember Charles screaming on the other line, like, what? <laughs> Fuck you guys. What? This is bullshit. <laughs> and uh, not really knowing the impact that had on people, but you yeah. know, I got to say it's Charles and you know, he's done really well. So oh yeah, we, absolutely. we joke around. Oh, you can, you can thank us for that, Charles. <laughs> Where would you be right now? If you were still doing this crap, right? Well, he may have been in the same spot, but at least he didn't have to. <laughs> Be on the torturous tours that we've we've talked about in the past. Exactly. So now we got basically somehow Hollow is great in a band with Kyle, and <laughs> yeah. we're calling ourselves great. Right. And the thing I can think of when I look back on this era and that time is yes, a bunch of immature guys on the road trying to be a professional band. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, it was a it was a great time to be 20, 21, 22. Oh yeah. Touring the world and you know coming home with a pocket full of money 
that covered your rent. Yeah. Um, yeah. But looking back, you know, it's kind of sad because life takes you on this journey where it's, it's lessons learned. Right. And if you didn't learn these lessons, you wouldn't become the person you are today. So it's hard to, Mm -hmm. it's hard to say that you didn't take those times for granted because you did, but you you had to because you're a kid, right? Yeah. You're living it. It Um, it never feels the same when you're living it as when you're looking back on it. Right. Obviously. Exactly. Exactly. So you're out there, you're, you're in Berlin, you're seeing the wall, you're at the grand Canyon, you're, and you're like, you're, all you're thinking about is, oh, let's go to Burger King and let's get our smokes, right? Like, <laughs> you're not you're not thinking like, wow, this could be the last time I ever get to see this. Or, yeah, right. And uh, you know, I look back on this stuff too. And you know, when we did our reunion shows and we did this EP and we started playing shows in January again, I I made sure to go out of my way and thank the promoters and thank the bar staff and the the you know, sound guys. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These people that run these clubs, because as a kid, you know, I didn't, I didn't even think about them as a 20 nope. something. You're just so tied up in your own mm-hmm. needs. And, and you see that in your kids, right? Like yep. when you see it in your kids now, I mean, that's just part of growing up. And I think you don't really mature or, you know, get a sense of, how much effort people are putting in to make a show happen until you get to that point. And, you know, it's kind of sad in a way, but it's something I look back and, you know, I have no regrets, but no. I do regret not being more grateful for the people that yeah. promoted these things, you know, booked your tours. Um, but you're young. I mean, nobody thinks like you're that young. when they're young. You know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's it. a part of growing up. You, you learn these things and you get, you improve, and I've said this on the show before, talking to other people. You, as you get older, you realize the mistakes you've made, and you turn into a better mm-hmm. person because of that. You know, they're not regrets; yeah. they're their experiences, they're learned, For sure. learned behaviors, right? They're not necessarily mistakes, but no. they're just oversights. Like the way you should have conducted yourself, the way you should have, you know, gone out of your way to be more respectful, and uh, you know, that's what we're trying to instill in our children. But For I mean, sure. as children you really are selfish. Oh yeah. Selfish beings. And uh, that's just the way it is. And yeah. um, But yeah, like I said, when we, when now when we play shows or we go record, I think, you know, your, you know, people's time is valuable and you want to make sure they know that. Right. And uh, I I think you were at a few of the shows. I made sure to go out of my way and thank the promoters and, and all the people who are working there that night that made this show happen. Mm-hmm. because really without them it's not happening and no that's true there's so many of these bands that come through and we're dime a dozen right and uh you know for them to do those things to to make the show happen they're the the real heroes of it for sure yeah it's such an important industry and i mean we're you know like not to go back to the pandemic thing but like we're losing a lot of venues right now that otherwise would have been thriving you know what i mean that have right. always thrived and all of a sudden they're they're having a hard time and it's so hard to to think that when we when we go back to see being able to have live shows and see live shows and play live shows, that a lot of the venues that we were accustomed to going to these classic places are could be gone. You know what I mean? If if we're not, yeah, if not it's, careful, it's super sad, man. Um, and it's quite unfortunate that you know, um, you know, the people that put on entertainment for people, they're kind of the last ones to be thought of right now. And yep. you know, I just think it's because our government isn't seeing what 
those people are going through and that that is a lot of their livelihoods um yeah. so i mean it's going to be interesting to see how we bounce out of this but i mean things just seem to be getting bleaker and worse and now this you know the variants are coming in and yeah. i don't know hopefully they're not as deadly or no you know what but I, I think they're making too big of a deal out of those variants i think we're going to be in good shape here by the summer i mean we saw it last summer went into a real decline you know what i mean like <clears> last <throat> summer other than not being able to have like live shows and and big meetups like big parties that was really the only thing that was different last summer like everything was kind of normal like we we went out to eat <clears throat> not yeah. often not often and and we, we were right. very careful when we went out but um it started to feel like we were getting back to some kind of normalcy you know what i mean and then and then, of course, the, the fall came and it all went for a shit again, you know? Yeah, uh, for sure. But I think now with the vaccines and everything, I think we're going to be in good shape here. And I <clears throat> I don't think we'll be seeing shows this summer, but you know, I hope maybe by the fall or the winter we'll, we'll be back to starting to see shows being played. Yeah. Again, right? um, I'll tell you this, man. I've been down here since October. Mm-hmm. And uh, besides the little throat things and stuff like that, I have been healthy 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 and yeah me too Not they talk about vitamin vitamin d being an essential part of your health yes it is it yeah couldn't be any more true man and you know just like you working night shifts and not seeing the daylight yeah i mean that's not healthy and no as canadians we go through it six months of the year where you're just living in gray yep and you're not you go home you go to work it's dark you go home it's dark Yep. It's not healthy. It's not a healthy way to live, man. And I say the government should make it mandatory for people to go to sunny destinations, you know, <laughs> two weeks of the year. Yeah. You know, that's not going to happen because obviously no, they could but, care less. But it's definitely but, something that can be like, imp- it's a big improvement on your life when you get away at least once during the winter. You know what I mean? If you can get away for a week or two in the winter, like to somewhere sunny yeah. and warm, it, it changes your whole mentality. You know what I mean? It sure does. Um, I mean, people don't really realize as Canadians how much you do need it. And yeah. um, I know a lot of people don't like the sun and they, they'd rather stay, you know, in the dark, whatever. That's your choice. But as Canadians, I think a lot of us don't really know that they have this other side of the world out there that you can go yeah. to that's safe and, you know, healthy for you. Yeah. And I just wish, I wish more people would do it. I wish we wouldn't, the news and the media wouldn't instill fear in people to yeah. travel. Yeah. And, you know, going on airplanes is safer than driving a car and, you know, these places in Mexico and, you know, coast, coast Costa Rica mm-hmm. and everywhere, like they're, they're super safe. Oh man. yeah. 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 They're, they're safe not, places. It's too. just sad that people think it's so scary. I think more than anything now though, it's just, it's just the, the pandemic that people are worried about. You know what I mean? Like, like not a lot of people are, are wanting to travel. I like, I, I couldn't, there's no way I would ever go on a plane or anywhere where I'd have to be confined with people for a long period of time. Cause I'm diabetic. Right. right. So I don't, I don't want to catch anything. And I haven't been sick in like two years. Like I haven't even had a, the sniffles in, in two full years yeah. now. So, uh, you know, and I attribute that to doing what I've always done. I've always been a kind of a distance guy. Like unless I'm close with somebody, like if I see you guys at a show, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to shake your hand. I'm going to hug you, but you know, I'm not going to do that with everyone. And most people that I meet, I kind of do keep at a distance already, even before we did. Yeah. This, right? So nothing really changed for me in that. Same time. here, man. I was yeah. never like uh, a guy that was jumping into no into a crowd of people and you know that you see it here um you see a lot of the partiers and they're like the 20 something crowd and 
Yeah, I mean the the pandemic isn't taken as seriously here. I mean, mm -hmm. and I'm in this little village here called Sayulita, and it's like a little safe haven almost. Yeah, I don't know why, but there's there's literally no cases here. Nobody wears a mask. I mean, certain shops want you to wear masks, and that's fine. It, I mean, if there's Kids no go cases, to school, it's, they it's, don't wear masks. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Like wearing a mask is good, obviously. And if, I, if there's I, cases I, around, I but if there's no cases around, if you're if you're sort of in this smaller village, it's in a bubble. You know what I mean? Like it's it's pretty much its own sort of. That's it. I mean, and it, you know, I think people should have the choice if, if you want to, you know, especially in a place like this. But if it's mandatory, of course you're going to wear a mask. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's not a big deal. I mean, I just, I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't want to get off topic no. here, but no, it's, no, uh, that, that's enough about the pandemic. We could probably do a whole podcast <laughs> yeah, just talking who cares? about how we feel it's about this whole thing. Yeah, it is. No, it is, man. And it's good <laughs> to talk about it. And it's good for people to hear other opinions and things like that. And, and everybody's got their own opinion. And you know, like as much as some people's opinions about what's going on really piss me off because they're so, so lax the other way, you know what I mean? And they're, they're so dismissive of other people's feelings, like, you know, especially me being more vulnerable to this shit. And uh, like, I really mm. don't want to catch it. And for people to be dismissive of it, like of other people's feelings, like I, I understand like the government overreaching and doing things like that. And I, I don't want to get into that because I hate being a political guy I, and I don't understand political stuff enough to even talk about it. But uh, as far as like being respectful of how other people feel going through something like this, I mean, it's not, it's not cool to just say, you know, fuck you or fuck masks. Like you, you can't say that, yeah. to, you know what I mean? Cause it's everybody's I'm, comfort level, right? Exactly, man. I, I feel the exact same way. I mean, I'm not a guy that will go and argue with you about why this doctor said this yeah. and here's a written report on this MD. And it's like, People have too many opinions, um, but what we need to take out of this whole thing is to respect each other and value each other's lives, especially. And, you know, I, I think we're getting we're going to get a lot of flack from people when mm -hmm. we come home. You know, mm -hmm. why did you leave? And it was unsafe of you. That's, you know, no, I don't think I don't think you're going to hear that, man. Honestly, I really no. don't. I really don't. I, I'm, I should say we're not going to hear it, but I, we know that's what a lot of people are thinking. And that's fine. I mean, right? Like everybody's got their fine. own opinion. It's like if yeah. they want to think that, fine. But I, I don't think anyone's going to like. Say, no, obviously not going to say anything to you. But you're right. If we want to, you know, get through this and respect, you do have to respect everybody else's how feelings and how they feel about it and how it's affected them. Because yeah, yeah. You know, we're all different. We all live differently. And anyone who thinks, you know, there's two types of people who just live in this little box mm. and that's the way they are, then they're, they're dead wrong yeah. because we no, all have different feelings. Um, and that's all I can say about that. Yep. So no, no, that's good. That's good, man. I, I, I'm glad we actually dove into that a little bit. Cause it's, it's nice to, it's nice to get away from, like we talk about the band stuff a lot and the history and all that kind of stuff. And that's mm -hmm. cool, but it's nice to, for these podcasts to sometimes, and I like that. Like, yeah. I always tell people before we start, like it's, it's very loose. It's very free form, whatever you want to talk yeah. about. I'm fine. If we don't make it to all the questions that I have, I don't care. I only lay them out to make so sure good. we can get through the two hours. <laughs> yeah, no, this, uh, you know, it, and, uh, I'm not experienced a pandemic like you guys are because I, I am here in Mexico. And like I said, we don't even, it doesn't even cross our minds. Yeah, you and know, that, we what, hear a way about to, it. what a beautiful way to live, right? Yeah, it's been, you know, honestly, life is just normal. It's awesome. It's awesome. I'm envious of that. I saw your view when you stood up there for a minute when you went to the door. It was like, <laughs> I was looking out your yeah. window there. I was like, Jesus, that looks great. Well, 
if I sat outside right now, you might fall out of your chair. I mean, it's <laughs> I've seen some of your pictures. I've seen day. some of your Instagram stuff. Yeah. It looks really good. Yeah, thanks, buddy. So getting back to I want to get back to the to the broken um busted wings record. Not broken wings, busted wings record. Uh, yeah. Busted Wings, Rusted Halo. So you guys are touring with Grade. Grade eventually falls apart, obviously. We all know that. Grade, mm-hmm. Grade did not survive, at least in that time period. They, I know they've gotten back together kind of in recent years and done some different things. Yeah. But at that time, they sort of fell apart. They dissolved. And pretty much, if I remember correctly, it was pretty much right away you guys got in the studio and recorded Busted Wings. You, if, if I yeah. remember from what Brad was telling me way back when we did the first podcast, he was already, mm-hmm. or you guys were already writing some songs on the road with Grade. Yeah, for sure. So I think grade came to an end in 2002, early, uh, or maybe summerish. And we had written two or three songs on the road that were supposedly going to be for the next grade record. They had just put out, we were touring um, Head First Straight to Hell at the yeah. time. Yep. And uh, it wasn't getting great reviews. It sounded awful. Um the songs were awesome, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought um, so, too. I think people wanted to hear an Under the Radar Part 2, but they didn't get that. So I think a lot of people were pissed off about that. Um, you know, we could talk about that for a while, but, I mean, we're, we're talking, in, you know, how this happened. And then, so, yeah, the band dissolved. We did a couple final farewell shows. Um, I think we played with Gob at... Um, the Mississauga play, whatever that was called. Okay. Yeah. I don't um, know that venue. Yeah. Um, so we did a bunch of shows there. We did three shows. It was like a tour with Gob, and those were supposedly the final shows. And then we had already known, we knew at the time that, yeah, we were going to get somehow hollow um, going again. I think a lot of people, you know, thought that we were the ones who broke up grade because we wanted to do this other band. But a, a lot of people didn't realize that somehow hollow was already a band. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we had, obviously we had our one record out already. Mm-hmm. We did a bunch of shows. We, we played shows in between grade tours. We wrote somehow hollow songs and there was never somehow hollow never was a band that we said is over. Like, we always had it. It was always mm-hmm. there. And we, you know, we always yeah. knew that maybe that was something we were going to fall back on when, you know, this maybe didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, things weren't going well with grade. And we decided that, yeah, we were going to put some hollow back in the forefront. And uh, we had no intention of saying to victory records, Hey, here's what's happening. Like that never happened. Mm-hmm. It was, it was Tony Brummel, the owner of mm-hmm. victory mm-hmm. records who, reached out to us and said, Oh, you guys have a, another band, you know, okay. I want to, I want to hear it. I want to put that out maybe. So we ended up doing, uh, we had some demos. Yeah. Like when, when grade was happening, we had demos of, um, I think walking clothefoot. We had a demo of the witch of Glen Cedar gate. We had a demo of, um, another track uh, off that record and uh kyle bishop the singer of grade actually sang the i told you i loved you part on witch of glen cedar gate no shit so that that exists somewhere so 
when we were still doing some El Hollow and doing demos, we were still on, you know, good terms with Kyle and, mm-hmm. and the great guys. So there was no misunderstanding there that, you know, this was our band still, and we were, you know, still going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Tony approaches us. We, I think those were the demos we handed into them. Um, and he said, yeah, I want to put it out. Let's record an album. So we nice. said, all right. So this was 2002. Um, we ended up going into, I think we did three studios. We did, um, Justin Coop, who recorded the record was, he put together his own home studio. So we did some, we did some tracking in Mississauga at his home studio. We did some tracking in Burlington at the music gym, which was kind of a recording slash jam space for, uh, bands. And then we did um, we did drums and bass out in Niagara Falls at a place called Rainbow Studios, which is famous a famous studio either owned or where Walter um, can't remember the guy's name the he's a famous polka oh. player Walter's oh Drosner. I know what you're talking about yeah, yeah. Um, Walter Austin. Austrian Austrianak. Yeah. Yes, that's him. Um, so yeah, we actually we we did that album in three spots. I remember doing vocals at uh in Mississauga at the home studio. We did we did bass and drums at the Rainbow Studios in Niagara Falls, and we did the uh guitar tracking at the music gym in Burlington. So that album happened in three studios. Well, whatever you guys did, it sounded really good because I remember. <laughs> I went up. Do you remember when you guys played in Kitchener at that weird, like, uh, I don't know what it was, almost like a theater, kind of like in the round, like this. It's just a, yeah. it was a weird place in Kitchener. And uh, I saw did that guys, show get shut down. Well, the power went out, and then it came back on, and it kind of got yeah. finished. And it was just a weird night. Like my my buddy. It band, was not a good night. No, it my, was. I remember that show be, because of that. And my I had yeah. a bunch of family there to see me. The yeah. power was going out, and <laughs> yeah. I remember some kid flicked a bottle cap. That hit me right in the face. Oh fuck! And I I remember I had kind of um, you know, as Kazarins were kind of spasmans, you know, <laughs> talked about. So I had my spasman moment there where I totally did a Axl Rose and stopped the song <laughs> and thought it was pretty fucking cool, you know. And then, um, yeah, I remember that show. But anyway, I remember sorry. I remember going up to Brad and just saying like right after the show, I'm like, man. You guys sound so good. This this recording, this album sounded so much better than Head First Straight to Hell. And I don't even know why I said that. You know, again, like you talk about being young and saying stupid shit. I put my foot <laughs> yeah. in my mouth. I put my foot in my mouth so many times over the years. Yeah. And I and that was a moment I, I wish I wouldn't have said because I, I saw the look on his face because I didn't realize that he had played as much as he had on on Head First Straight to Hell and and wrote yeah. all those songs. So when I said it didn't sound great, I, I could just see this look on his face and I felt fucking bad right away because I realized <laughs> that I had said something not not the greatest. But yeah. I mean, luckily it didn't didn't affect our relationship going forward. <laughs> luckily. Right. Yeah, no, that was heartbreaking for Brad because he had a lot of involvement on Head First Straight yeah. to Hell. And he 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 was proud. He showed us the demos. Um they did like tracking for it. So there was rough edits of uh, pre-mastered mm. and we were listening it to it going holy shit this sounds fucking awesome yeah. dude like we i remember sitting in our townhouse in oakville and he'd throw it on the cd player and blast it and we were like 
this is going to be huge. So we all had this idea that, you know, this was it. They're blowing up. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye, Brad. You're not coming back to some mm-hmm. hollow. Mm-hmm. And then when the actual thing came out, it was a total. And I, I, I'm i not a guy who I like to listen to music based off how it sounds or mm-hmm. I, a feeling I get. You know, I don't necessarily looking back on albums that I listen to now, I go, holy crap, that sounds awful. Or like, what were they thinking? Yeah. There? But when you're in your your early, you know, late teens, early 20s, yeah, you're not thinking. No, it doesn't that matter. Awful. Yeah, it you just matter. like it. And you like so I'm like, yeah, but I specifically remember hearing the final masters mm. and going, wow, that sounds really tinny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What ha- like that's it? That's the that's the final. Yeah, that's it. it I was been, like, that's that can't be it. It could have just been bad mastering right in the very end. And that's like I I like that album. Like, to, don't get me wrong. Like, Head of Frustrated Hell, oh, yeah. is, it's probably it's my favorite great album for sure. Mm-hmm. But at the same time when you compare it to the sounds on busted wings, it's like they're, they're miles apart. Like busted wings sounds yeah. way more produced Absolutely. in the long run than that, than that album does, but it didn't well, matter. I, I, I still love the songs. Like they were still great songs. Absolutely. And uh, that's what you can take away from it. That is that, you know, and I was talking to uh Stu from uh, misery signals over. Uh, we were talking, I think we were on uh, mess uh, Instagram messenger. Or mm-hmm. whatever. He was just asking, he, he had, he was like asking me a lot of questions about it and what happened. And, and I was trying to answer them for, I was like, you got, honestly, you got to ask my brother, but the mm-hmm. story goes is that grade was on tour and victory signed off on the final masters, even though the band didn't approve of it. That's the story. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's mm-hmm. the story. So shame on victory if that's the case, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that sounds like complete garbage, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, it's, it's, it is when you hear busted wings put up against that, like there's no comparison. And mm-hmm. When we were recording busted wings, I mean, the, we were so, so pumped, you know, to, to hear how the drums sounded huge, the bass was pumping, the guitars obviously are. Yeah. You know, if anyone who's a fan of Somehow Hollow, you know, first and foremost, we're a guitar mm-hmm. driven. Oh, for sure. Band. I mean, yeah. if you like two guitars dueling, if you like Iron Maiden, if you like Thin Lizzy, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're probably going to be somewhat attracted to our band oh yeah you know, for if sure you, if you're a punk fan yeah brad's writing but, has always um, been like that eh? like even even in grade like that like head first straight to hell was yeah. like that that's what really drew me to that album was all those guitar for harmonies sure. and all those lead parts you know yeah um but the takeaway from you know from my personal experience with busted wings was that we had the luxury to go in and do something great and coming back to what i was talking about immaturity taking advantage of you know just thinking yeah you know i laid down one vocal track there i that bass track was perfect you know (laughs) yeah and you go back and you listen to some things and you go oh like (laughs) i hear my vocals on that record and i just cringe i go this could have been so much better if i had just taken the time to to put my ego aside and say you're not that good of a singer, dude. Go get some vocal <laughs> lessons. Stop smoking. Stop drinking milk because your voice sounds hoarse and like crap. And, you know, I have a very nasally 
voice to begin with, which is fine for punk yeah, rock. It is what it is. I'll tell you this, man. I uh, on our new EP, I my my oldest daughter was taking vocals. She's been doing music classes with this excellent oh nice vocal train like um, vocal trainer named Nikki. And uh, I actually did two vocal lessons with Nikki before I went in and recorded those four songs. Oh, cool. I was like, this is redemption. I want to, I want to do this right. I want to do it to the best of my ability. And it, it definitely helped, you know, anyone who listens to the new EP compared to our first two records will go, wow, you sound 10,000 times better. Well, your phrase it, your phrasing is much better. Um, your, the tone is better because I was I was conscious of it. I wanted to make it great because mm-hmm. we put a lot of effort into mm-hmm. it. And those two classes I did with her, she showed me things that you know I still try to do at live, mm-hmm. you know, through live shows mm-hmm. or and yeah. So what I can take away from Busted Wings is that I took advantage of the time that we had there. And I, you know, it's one thing to walk away from that and i have no regrets that mm. that's not what i'm saying mm-hmm. but it's just being grateful for what you had i mean to go to a world-renowned studio in in niagara falls and yeah be able to take your time to do three bass tracks instead of just thinking oh yeah that was good enough you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thinking oh these songs are great they're just gonna be on the radio they're mm-hmm. gonna be huge you know it's like that's kind of the way you think as a kid right mm-hmm. um and now when i listen to that record there's a lot of moments where it takes me back to a certain time which is great um i was involved i had a girlfriend at the time too this is another thing i can remember um she was in a band too uh called Thule, which was actually they were doing pretty well they were on this label called linus entertainment and they were they had a couple of videos on much music and so you know we thought we were kind of the friggin sid and nancy of you know <laughs> pop punk and uh so yeah that just kind of stroked my ego a little bit and um that ended up falling apart but what i can tell you is being you know you thought you were in love and and that crisscross with the recording sessions of busted wings. And, you know, I wasn't really focused on the record. I was focused on, you know, going home to see her or it was hard to tour. Like it was, it was just in my mind all the time. Right. Like, Oh, I, you know, this girl's great. And yeah. And she is great. She's a great, great person. Um, but it took away my professionalism from the actual recording mm-hmm it took my mind off what should have been the end result as mm-hmm. opposed to, and there was a lot of rushing going on. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it's a great album still. I think, yeah. you know, oh, it is. if I look back, I, I don't think people gave it, it's a, a good spin or a, a good chance. Cause I, I, I do think there are some good tracks on there. There are, man. Um, there are for sure. I think, you know, I think the first record, the self-titled came from a, a more honest from the heart. Um, and my dad, he's the one who says, he's like, your, your first album is much better than your second. And wow. he's just an honest guy. <laughs> and he's like, your first album just, it comes through better. And and I agree. Now that I listen to the two, I, I really think, you know, my heart was more into the first record than the second one. And that's the takeaway. Um, 
we had a great time recording it though. Like it mm-hmm. was a great experience just on how we were able to track and take our time, you know, mostly, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and just how big it sounded. Yeah. Um, it sounded awesome, man. And that's like, yeah. that's, and you know, I, it's funny cause I just started, I just bought a bass. I'm, I'm a guitar player as you, as you know, but I, I mm-hmm. bought a bass recently and I, I was telling you over, over Instagram there that I, uh, you know, I've been, I've been listening to a lot of the bass lines on that album and, and other albums as well, but, uh, like, like punk albums, I've been trying to play what I listen to, you know what I mean? And I'm learning yeah. that like some of those bass lines are way more, uh, complicated than I thought, you know, especially on, especially on busted wings. Like there's, you got some really like, uh, like walking bass lines on some of those tracks, you know what I mean? Like in, it's it's funny that he would say that your dad would say that the first one is better because I I think the the instrument work on the second <laughs> one is better than the first one to, for like yeah you know just from my from my perspective but um uh but yeah like the bass stuff like your bass sounds so huge on that on that record like it it and it's you can totally tell you're playing the Ernie ball like it's got that like punchy yeah like, cutting through sound and it. I think that's part of the big reason why I like those songs so much is because they have a huge sound, like you're saying, but also like you can hear every instrument really well. Like whoever mastered mm-hmm. that, whoever did that, you can hear all the parts, you can hear all the all the instruments really, really clearly, and your bass just like cuts through like really well, and you can hear it. It's great, man. It's a great album. Yeah, um, I can't. I think Justin was involved in the mastering on that, and I'd, I'd have to look back at where mm-hmm. we. I think we sent it off somewhere, but yeah, we were we were quite happy with the end result. Um, thanks very much for saying the oh. bass lines are are you know because no, no as I was talking about, a, a, you know, somehow Hollow is a guitar driven mainly yeah. um, focused band. I mean, Drew Drew is a great drummer. Uh, I think. He his best performances were on our first record again, mm-hmm. um, because the uh, the busted wings songs were a lot more stripped down, rocky mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. straightforward beats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't think he got his due to shine on that record, and I don't think he really wanted to. We got a lot of I remember seeing reviews back in the day of how basic the drumming was, and I mean it was, but I ah. think it was. I it was know, kind man. of it was it was good. It just wasn't he just didn't get to play the punk beat a lot. Like you guys didn't have a lot he, of songs that were like skate. There's punk. no punk beat, but yeah. there also aren't a lot of fills. Like he could have done I, I in my opinion, like he could have shined a little more on that too. Um, you know, I, I think it sound the drums sound amazing. I mm-hmm. think if you're mm-hmm. if you're a guy going out like a lot of people buy records and they they go out to buy an album they go holy crap listen to the listen to this man like the drums mm-hmm. wow check this part out or like check this guitar riff or wow you know dudes doing this and i don't think you know there was any moment on that record where you were like holy shit that mm-hmm. sounds wicked and it's too bad because the drums sound so good yeah um but yeah the uh the bass it sounds great. That's the best Ernie Ball recording I could get out of that for sure. Oh um, man, yeah, it we, sounds. We awesome. just put that, we put that through my Ampeg Classic with the eight ten. Uh, I was in the room all by myself. The eight ten was set way back in the corner, uh, mic'd up. I had my headphones, and I just let her rip. I think I got, I think I tracked the bass in like two days. Um, 
And, but once again, yeah, just kind of rushing it, not really taking my time. Um, yeah, but because we are a guitar driven band, you don't listen to a lot of the, the bass and the drumming going on. Um, but yeah, there's some good parts. So oh, man, there's awesome. I, parts. I appreciate you listening to that because I don't think, you know, I, I like to think I'm a half decent bass player. Yeah. Uh, but you're not giving yourself enough credit in this in this yeah. episode in this podcast that's for sure no. <laughs> <laughs> you're cutting yourself up a lot and I, and I, I don't think it's uh it's warranted at all i think i'm just you know like i talked about the immaturity and i'm just i'm more conscious now of yeah. what i say and it's, it coming across as it's ego funny that you are. like i'm just i can't be in the middle somewhere you know i mean yeah yeah it's funny that you say yeah. like you had the ampeg in the corner and I'm going to ask you a question relating to that that recording of like bass mm-hmm. recording specifically when we get talking about the EP. Um once we're done talking about busted wings here and and the history surrounding that. Um cuz Brad and I talked about recording um his guitar on the new EP and mm-hmm. how he used the Kemper which I was not Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't happy to hear, but uh, I mean, it worked and it sounds great, but uh, you know, I would have liked to have believed, or I would have liked to have been led to believe that everything was live mic'd up amps. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, so you guys record that album, you record busted wings, you start touring, obviously uh, we know Brad left the band at some point. Um, yeah. On your so, way to, on your way to record, to make the video for Camelot. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, so I think we talked about that, but yeah, so we basically just finished recording the record. Um, it came out in, uh, I think January of 2003. It's not the greatest of times to release a record a and B to tour because, you know, your first shows are in upstate New York where Mm -hmm. it's just icy and snowy. (laughs) Um, so it, it had this whole like feel around it of like, you know, not, just kind of darkness, you know, like, oh, so we're, we're traveling to Long Island to record, to make a music video for Kamloops. Right. And, uh, Brad, you know, he was worn out tour. He toured a lot in those, you know, three or four years with grade. And he, you know, he was with his, uh, fiance. I think they're, I don't think they were engaged. Maybe they were engaged with Tiffany and, uh, they lived in a townhouse in Oakville and she's, she's a hard worker. So he, I think he kind of felt bad about kind of not supporting and her kind of taking mm-hmm. on a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And then when, when he went from making money and <laughs> staying in hotels to, Oh boy, here we go again. Like yeah. from the ground up, I think his heart <laughs> just wasn't into it. So all of a sudden we're halfway to long Island at a McDonald's <laughs> Out of the blue, Brad says, yeah, I, I think I'm done, guys. Oh, man. <laughs> and I said, what? Um, so he's like, yeah, I just, I don't think I can do this. And uh, I was, I, you know, timing's impeccable, of course. So I think when we were doing the video shoot, he was kind of telling the guys that, you know, don't don't put me in this video too much. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, why? Don't what? shoot me too you know, much. And we, <laughs> so, um yeah, he's uh, he was um, not into it. Let's just say yeah, that. Yeah, um, he was That's proud of the record. I think he was happy with his parts and what he did. Oh, sure. Uh, but yeah, he just couldn't do the touring anymore. And, and that's fair enough, right? I mean, he, he like you said, he had been through it, and he's older than you. He's 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 five years older than you, so it's 
you know, he had been there, done that kind of thing. Right. So I, I don't, I can't really. Blame yeah. him. No, for sure. I mean, I don't, I mean, once again, you know, back in those days, you, you're, ah, dude, this sucks, you know, and you're pissed off and mm-hmm. you don't really see other people's points of view, but I yeah. mean, that's kind of, you know, off the new EP, I wrote a song called everybody's got a reason. Yeah. And yeah. I think that just kind of came back to, yeah, everybody has a reason for disliking something. Everyone has a reason for liking something. Everybody has a reason for doing what they do. Nobody goes out of their way to make someone else's life's hell. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe some people do if they're psychos or mm. murderers, you know, but that's, that is something that, you know, average people go through life and they make their decisions based off their needs and, mm-hmm. you know, you fault them when you're young and immature, but as you grow, you realize, yeah, people had reasons for mm-hmm. being mad at you or reasons for quitting bands or, you know, so that's yeah, kind of where that life, song right? came from. So if I come back to that point in time in my life of Brad quitting in the McDonald's, I mean, yeah, he had his reasons and sure. we never faulted him. Uh, we were mad of course, cause he was like the papa of the band, of course. Um, so now we were kind of there to fend for ourselves. Um, yeah. yeah so, so, so Brad, okay. So Brad quits, you guys Brad are, quits. you're recording that or you're, you're filming that video for Kamloops. He quits. So we he's, the video, so he's yeah. barely in it. I know, <laughs> I know he's like in it for like a split second. And yeah. then, so that's when you guys scooped up Tiller again, right? Yeah. So this is when Tiller comes back. Yeah. Um, we had another friend, uh, who really wanted to play in the band. Uh, his name is Kyle Betts and he is from Stratford Okay, and we seriously considered him because, you know, looking back, we kind of figured he was a little more mature than Tiller, (laughs) but, uh, ultimately in the end, we chose Tiller just based off our history, our friendship. And he, he promised us that he was, he was serious and he wanted to do this. And so we said, yeah, come on. Let's go. So Tiller got to do all the touring for Busted Wings. Yeah, all the way over to Europe um, and and all that stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. He did Europe. We did um, we did the U.S. a bunch. We did Canada. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he fell into something pretty good. It was yeah, yeah. You know, it was a struggle a lot of the times, but he was, you know, we had some we have some funny stories, of course. Oh, I'm with, sure. Uh, Tiller and Kent in tow. And uh, just chaos, you know, <laughs> but we could, we could do a whole nother episode yeah, on yeah. funny <laughs> stories from the, from the road, which I mean, yeah. At what point did that touring cool down? Because I seem to remember you guys for like a number of years, you guys were touring like Canada and the States for sure. And like, I know mm-hmm. you had been to Europe at least once that I knew of. Did you guys make it to, over to Japan as, as no. not, not in that configuration we never we never got there unfortunately mm-hmm. um that's one i really wish we could have done mm-hmm. um but yeah we got to do we got europe in we toured with water down which was another victory kind of mm-hmm. hardcore band at the time mm-hmm. and that tour was okay um we actually ended up leaving that tour a little early because i think till sean's mom had an emergency if i recall mm. Um, so we still had about a week left, but we had to, we had to leave early, which kind of sucked, um, because we were just coming into like Italy, which mm. was like, 
I was really stoked to be on. So that was, that was tough. Um, but we got to do that. And then we, we did these DIY, super DIY us tours that our friend from our friend from the States, Devin Daisy, she actually, and I, this is what I'm coming back to being grateful for people who spent time on us and, uh, put a lot of hard work into promoting us because she wasn't even a, a booking. This was her first go at booking tours. She, she called all these, you know, promoters from every city trying to get us a sweet tour. And, mm-hmm. and ultimately in the end, she strung together this really great six week run of, oh, of wow. a U.S. tour. Um, but that was a, that was a hard tour because it was all, we didn't even have a trailer. I don't think we ended up leaving our trailer. We just had a bunk. We put all our equipment in under the bunk just to save because we were, we were dead broke. Oh yeah. And, uh, but she put that all together and I'm very grateful for her for doing that. And, you know, just going back to that, there were times where we were, you know, not grateful for what she had done. Mm. Um, and it's too bad. I mean, I hope she realizes that we were immature and, you know, a lot of yeah. things we said and did were just because of that. And, you know, she, me and her are really good friends now. She's really good friends with Sean and uh, she keeps in touch with us. She'll every once in a while say, hey, or send us some postcards and mm-hmm. things like that. Cause she likes to travel. She's a, she likes to travel. So I think that kind of was fun for her too. Cause she got to see all of the USA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that was super tough for her touring in a band with, you know, five dudes yeah. at a time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine, you know, what I would love to talk to her. You should have her on the show, man, just to get some perspective. That would be fun um, to hear that stuff. That's for sure. Yeah. But she hooked us up. Like when we got into California, her family was living there and we got to stay with her oh, parents nice. and things like that. So that's cool. She that's was good a of her. great connections, but yeah, we did, we toured that record for a good year and a half on and off mm. um uh ultimately i you know when we came off the road victory decided you know we were writing demos we had written we had like 10 or 11 new songs ready for a new record mm-hmm. um and uh obviously you know i think our we had a manager at the time in toronto her name was nancy and she was really pushing for us to go bigger, go, you know, sign to a major, or mm-hmm. this and that, you know, and she was kind of filling our heads with all these grandiose thoughts of, oh, you're going to be huge, right? And mm-hmm. we were, you know, just at the time, we were more into partying and hanging out than, you know, being serious about it. So I think if we took it a little, little more serious, that we, something could have came out of it. Mm-hmm. Um she was quite abrupt with victory records. I, I, I remember seeing a couple of her emails and uh, they did not like that at all. I mean, they were victory records and they had, you know, I think we had like a nine, some ridiculous eight album deal with them or something, you know, Whoa. just if you go <laughs> back and you look at, if you go back in time and you look at the contracts, these victory records bands were signing, they were very unethical and uh they took kids for granted is what they did so if they struck gold on something then they were locked into this contract yeah that's as opposed insane. to 
the ethics of fat records where you you don't even sign a contract you have a handshake one album deal and if you want to do another one they say yeah and if you want to leave you're you leave mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is what like i'm not saying that's the way it needs to be but i mean a label like victory you know a two or three album deal would have been just fine yeah right? not eight like whatever it is like you like anything more than like you said like two or three is taking advantage of people yeah you know i mean like so you're locked basically, in forever. yeah so basically she was very in their face about oh you got to put out the next album and they want this and they want that and a lot of this stuff was unbeknownst to us. We had no idea what was going on. Well, she was managing you from behind the scenes, right? That's Yeah. A, we were just kids. And B, we cared more about partying. C, you know, just get the get mm-hmm. the shows, get mm-hmm. the job done. So Victory ended up dropping us. Yeah, Victory. I remember seeing the email from Tony just saying, yeah, we're, we decided to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, the contract is over mm-hmm, mm-hmm. nothing was signed to that effect but um that was basically it so that was like early 2004 i believe when that happened and but we had written we had like 10 or 12 pretty awesome songs if i remember i mean well you guys thinking played, back maybe they sucked i don't know but you started in my a opinion few of them a few of them live and they were really good like nina and monuments yeah. are the two that i remember specifically and they were those were killer tunes i've always wanted a, a copy of those recordings i don't know if you have them or not uh but i, I would do. love to I get got, those from we, you man we demoed mina we demoed monuments and we demoed a song called goodbye good night and I have them. I have it on CD somewhere. I'd have to dig it out. I also had it on like my old iPod. I had it, you know, right, right. Justin DeGraff, who was in the band for yep. a brief mm-hmm. moment, he he had a bunch of them, and he sent me like the, you know, some MP3. Well, maybe I'll reach out to him. Maybe he's got them on MP3, and he can send them. Yeah, he probably Dropbox does. Um, if not, just wait till I get home, and I can sure. I can get you a copy. I want sure. I want to talk to him too. I might try to get him on the being, show pretty killer tracks we recorded them uh with greg the guy who was the managing uh alexis on fire oh because he was a good friend of this nancy lady and he ended up doing these three tracks for us for free oh that's cool we tracked the drums um with with jay real the guy who recorded our first record right right he tracked those drums at his studio in gads hill and uh they turned out really awesome um, Justin was in the band at the time, but he didn't do the bass tracks. He wasn't confident. He wanted me to do them. He just said, just go do them. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the only three songs that Tiller got to, to be on for mm-hmm. any somehow hollow stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at the time, you know, Screamo was pretty popular. So we were trying to do a bit of screaming, <laughs> which is kind of cringy. Yeah. It's weird for you guys. Uh, it's not, I wouldn't expect to that from you on any, yeah, <laughs> any recordings no it wasn't great um but the songs are good so if, like if i could go back now and kind of you know you know take out a few moments of those songs i bet you we could we could probably put in some really good tracks oh yeah but um yeah so that was kind of when when victory dropped us i that was when i just said i'm done guys i quit oh, you know, oh really I'm, it was so you kind of initiated the sort of the end of the touring yeah, and all that stuff it was me i uh i was the one who said i don't want to spend any more time on this i i got to move on i was i was living with my parents again mm-hmm. um and r- not really in a great place 
I didn't feel good about where we were. Mm-hmm. The last tour we did, we did this awful tour of England. And, yeah, uh, I remember did, you telling me about that tour actually at at your parents' house. Like I, I think yeah, I came to visit you yeah. there, and you were telling me about that tour and you know nights where you didn't get to really eat a whole lot. You know what I mean? You're no. so broke, you're not even eating. It's like yeah, that's no way that to tour. Live. That tour really scared me. Like that yeah. was a scary tour. We toured in a car. Three of us in the back, two in the front with our Holy guitars shit. on our laps. Oh, my God. Kent, Kent was driving. I was driving on the opposite side of the road. We we honestly had nowhere to sleep at times at night. We luckily found, you know, people at the shows that would take us in. Mm-hmm. You know, the shows were good, but they weren't good enough to, you know, get us decent meals. And people took care of you, care, care of us, you know, and I'm grateful. Like I said, yeah, here yeah. we go again oh, with yeah. the, the grateful thing. Um, but that was it for me. I just... I couldn't, I couldn't do another tour like that. Yeah. It would just break me. Yeah. And then I got sick. I remember I got sick and my throat was killing me. Just all the good things that come with it, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. I wish, I really wish we could have done one more album. Mm-hmm. I wish we could have done and those songs. I wish we would have done at least something with them. Maybe it not being somehow hollow, maybe just being mm-hmm. me and Kent and Drew and Sean or maybe even Brad mm-hmm, mm-hmm. coming and recording them again, because there was some really good tracks. I was really in a dark place. I, uh, me and the, me and the girl from Thule mm. had split up. There was a lot of really angsty songs, you know, that I thought were kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's unfortunate those never came out, but that's kind of where the band ends. Yeah. Yeah, because um, then after that, there was really wasn't much like I, I mean, until you guys um, really kind of got back together after uh, you know after Kent's death and did the uh, the, mm-hmm. the tribute show for him, um, the charity show that which was great. Uh, up until that point, I don't think there was any other. There were no other shows in between that and when you when you kind of ended things with the band, right? That was sort of the next one, was it not? Sorry, Daryl, you cut out there on oh, me. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I was just saying there was there was really no shows between the time that you uh, sort of ended the band. And uh, are you there? Hey, there you are. Hey, sorry, man. That's okay, man. This this shit happens. That's yeah. the, that's the nature of doing these these podcasts over Zoom. It's it's always a it's always yeah. tricky, right? It's not the first time that's happened. The the one I had was just plagued with like constant interruptions. That's uh, also the nature of uh, being in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so as I was saying, um, now that we're yeah. back here. Um, Where were we? Well, I was saying that there wasn't really any shows after you had kind of ended the band up until the point where you guys played the tribute show for, for Kent Abbott after after his death, yeah. his unfortunate death there. So um, I, We always I, meant to do, we meant in 2004 there, I, I had an idea of doing a farewell final show yeah, I remember you and I kind of talked about that too back then because we were mm. toying. I don't think Tiller was interested, though, if I remember correctly. Well, here's the thing. Coming back to being immature and, you know, not really not knowing how to deal with relationships. So in your mind as a 20-something, you think, oh, my band's over, so are my friendships. Yeah. Which is yeah, it's ridiculous. crazy. Yeah. I mean... To think that we went through so much and grew up together and then to just not like it's so sad, you know, for me to look back on that time in my life. I mean, 
I really wish I wouldn't have been so stubborn mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because so 2004 happens and uh, the band's done. I think this was in like February or March. Um, and I was living with my parents in air near Cambridge yep. and uh, they were out. The other guys were all out in Stratford. So we weren't far away. Um, my brother got married in May of 2004 and mm-hmm. Kent actually came to the wedding. And that was the first time I saw Kent since we broke up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were playing, me and my brother started a band called Perfect, mm-hmm. which was me, my, our friend Jerry and uh, our friend Chris Danner at the time. And uh, we actually played Mina in our live set. So we were playing that song. And for some reason, Kent got wind of this. And the first thing he says to me at my brother's wedding is, I can't believe you guys have the audacity to play Mina. (laughs) Like it's some big, big deal. Like people care. Yeah. And he was so <laughs> bent out of shape about it. And I was like, dude, honestly, I'm like, I remember saying something so stupid. And we're like, I'm 24 or 23 at the time and saying something stupid like, well, you know, I wrote that whole song, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I own it so I can do whatever I want with it. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Which isn't wrong. So I mean, realistically, like, what's the what's the it, harm in another band playing that song? Or just for me to come back and say that, like, holy cow, yeah. man. cringy, <laughs> cringy moments. There was that, maybe some uh, some wrong on both sides there. <laughs> yeah, so that's basically, that's the end of the band, man. And then that's where it ends. But now, like, you guys got this new EP out, Chasing Daylight. Mm-hmm. How did, like, so Brad told me a little bit about how it comes up, but Brad is a funny guy because he's got lots of information but he goes on lots of different offshoots. So <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to wrangle him yeah. in and, and get the info that I, that I'm looking for. So at he, I think, you know, I, I'm me and Brad, you know, when we talk, we get excited and almost anxious about our story because yeah, yeah. We, we we're so excited about it inside, but it's hard for other people to listen to us because we go down this rabbit hole of like, what, you know, what, level were you playing at when you recorded that like you know it's just like stupid things people don't need to know but we're very detailed people um if i if it's hard for us to form our thoughts and just get it out there yeah no totally i I get that when you're trying to like get all this stuff out and and get the information out it's difficult at times i i know how it is i'm i'm on this side of the mic and it's sometimes it's hard enough for me just to keep things rolling as smooth as i would like to so i can imagine what's what's all in your heads but there's he, a weaker than song that I love where he says, uh, why can't I just drive up to what I want to say? <laughs> yeah. And I always think of that when I'm stumbling because I like meeting people. I love talking to people. I love interacting with yeah. people, but sometimes my brain just doesn't form the words oh, I I'm, need at the time. I'm right there and with you, man. Always. It never fails, man. In business meetings, <laughs> I have to think of another way of saying something because the words just don't come to me. Maybe it's a form of dyslexia or just stupidity, but I think it's just human nature, man. I think I we're all, yeah. we all need the practice and talking, right? It's just, it is nobody's it is. perfect. No, right. But no. it's like, Holy shit. I wish I could be a little more, you know, yeah. Uh, here we go. I can't find the word. Uh, <laughs> articulate or el- yeah. 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 Like I could articulate myself. Yeah. Like I say words that, 
my wife makes fun of me all the time. She's like, you say words that don't even make sense. Like they, you put them in a spot where it's like, that's not fit. what that word means, man. But it sounds like it. Oh God. So you should hear me trying to speak Spanish. Oh, I can imagine. Awful dude. And my kids rip me all the time. And I'm like, well, to be honest with you, I grew up in, you know, Grand Bend. Yeah. Girl, girl. Never I, had this opportunity to. I don't think I could do it, man. Defending myself, but on many occasions, you know, Mexican people will say, oh, to my daughter in Spanish, you know, your Spanish is much better than your dad's. <laughs> and she starts laughing. And I'm but like, I know exactly what she's younger. Said. Her brain is very plastic right now. She's you bungee. Know I mean? Yeah. It's uh, yeah. you should hear them, man. It's crazy. But anyway, yeah. yeah so, so, so Brad was telling me that he kind of came up my with brother. Some, he came up with some uh, demos, yeah. right? Some yeah, we ideas. did demos. Yeah. Yeah. So are we talking about the EP? Yeah. So, so he was telling me with the, with the EP, it kind of started all with some ideas that he had. And then he kind of shot them off to you and, and got you yeah. kind of excited about them. And that started the ball rolling, correct? For sure. Yeah. So this would have been um, 2019. Um, so this was about May of 2019 or maybe earlier, maybe early, like it was winter. It was winter of 2019. So he, he, he told you about his, he's at this studio where it's a rock school. He teaches kids yep. and then they have this recording studio and Dave Featherstone, who is now a part of somehow hollow. Mm -hmm. He's his like partner. And, uh, so they started tracking all these rock songs. Like they want to do like this thin Lizzy style rock band. And so my brother's sending me all these things and I'm going, Holy crap. I want to, I want to play bass in this thin Lizzy cover band essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, but then they, my brother all of a sudden just sent me um, the rough guitar tracks for everybody's got a reason. And I was like, Holy crap, man. I like, I think that would be like a really cool somehow hollow song. Mm -hmm. I said, mm -hmm. I'd love to get back into the, to our roots, the skate punk fast mm -hmm. in your face, aggressive. Uh, you know, I don't think busted wings is a mistake in any regard. I do think we had this idea that this is how music had to sound to be big at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think I, uh, instead of following my heart, I, I wrote songs based on what I thought would, you know, sell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyways, Brad sends me the song and, uh, I was like, I think that'd be really cool. So he said, well, let's, uh, let's get together on like, say Wednesday night and me, you and Dave can try to come up with something. So we all got together and uh, that was the first time I had met Dave, um, who's an amazing guitar player. He's an amazing drummer. He's just one of those guys. He's, you know, getting into recording. He, he knows how to sing. His vocals are insane. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, Dave's there and uh, he's a great guy. So we're all getting along. And all of a sudden, you know, by the end of the night, we got tracked, you know, bass, guitar, rough uh, ideas for vocal melodies and a couple lyrics and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it got me really, really excited to do this. So we decided that we're going to go every Wednesday night, we're going to get together and just hang out, have a couple beers mm -hmm. and then see what comes out of it um it really lit a fire under me to go and pick up the guitar again and try to write something yeah um yeah so 
that's where we were demoing those songs. And when we we had enough demos, uh, we said this this is good enough. I think these songs are really good. Let's uh, let's take them to uh, our buddy Siggy and see yeah. if he wants to record them. And he said, Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, Sig- I'd love to Siegfried that. Meyer. That's his name. Yeah, Siggy Meyer. Um, he owns. Uh, so where we recorded the EP was at his uh, two spots. We did his main studio which is in uh, Goderidge just off Lake Huron. Oh, okay. It's called Beach Road Studios. Okay, yeah. And it's an old it's a it's a farmhouse that he turned into this humongous room um with equipment like he's got any anything you need. He's got a rack of snares, he's got a wall of guitars, he's got drums galore you know just anything amps mm-hmm. all over the place mm-hmm. and what he does is he buys up a lot of these old you know analog and digital things and restores them and even resells them at times mm-hmm. but man it's like a museum of like equipment recording equipment it's insane dude yeah sounds like a cool place i've seen the pictures i saw some of the yeah. instagram pics while you guys were recording uh, yeah EP, and i remember thinking man where where is that place because it looks awesome like when mike was tracking oh. drums the, the little yeah. short video clips of mic tracking drums like i was like yeah. i can't wait for this it's it just seemed awesome and sounded huge just on the instagram video like i couldn't wait to hear it on on the album yeah well that's kind of his thing is that the drums in this farmhouse in this huge open space they're gonna sound huge and they do right and they like, do on that ep man those drums and i remember like like i said i was so excited to see the live shows because a i knew you guys had a f- fantastic drummer in in mike harshaw and yeah. B, the the sound of the drums was so big on the record. I'm like, if they're half as big as they sound like in real life as they are on the record, it's gonna be amazing. And it was the first time yeah. I saw you guys play, like my my head ripped off my shoulders almost. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was a couple things. Mike Harshaw, obviously, being the enormous mm-hmm. drummer that he is, and like just crushed it. Um, plus the sound of the, you know, the room with the overhead mics that are 50 60 feet in the air mm-hmm. um, just made it sound so huge right mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. um not to take anything away from mike but my brother actually when we demoed he did all the drumming i think he he touched on this yeah. in your podcast um and mike didn't stray too far away from what yeah, my you brother were, you were telling me that at the show that mike's uh, sort of kind of just played a, a lot of what brad had yeah. sort of written on the drums. He didn't, he didn't do like anything crazy. He was, you know, a lot of the fills he did, Brad couldn't do. Obviously, That's what I was going to say. He must have added those insane fills in. parts yeah. on there that yeah. we were like, Mike, just, just go, like, go for it, man. Like, yes. Yeah. And he's like, really? You really want me to do that? I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like people are going to lose their shit. Yeah. There's a lot of metal influenced drum, drum fills on that. Oh album. yeah. And he's such a pro. He knocked that out in, once we were finally set up, he was done in two, three hours. That's insane. And we were we were gonna sleep over at uh, at Beach Road Studios originally. It was a Friday when we started recording, and uh, we just said, "No, let's not rush this. We'll come back." And where we recorded the guitars um, and vocals was at Siggy's new. He had this new rental. Mm-hmm. Uh, this rental studio he called the cat box mm-hmm. it's actually in cambridge oh out in the industrial uh area okay so we we tracked the guitars and bass and vocals there oh cool i didn't know that that's awesome 
Yeah, so we had the drums and then we had the, the uh, rough tracks of the guitars. And so I just went in, I did bass next. And I, you know, I, I had been, you know, learning experiences, didn't want to mess up. I wanted to do my very, very best that I could yeah. on this one because of, you know, what happened on Busted Wings and just rushing it and thinking mm. it was good enough. And then listening back, I, I wanted to record something that I was going to be proud of that I, I didn't want to look back on and go, ah, oh, why did I, you know, yeah, you I wanted to be a little more polished. This time or I could have, yeah, I could have done a cool bass run there. So I, I had practiced those four songs for months mm -hmm, mm -hmm. before we went in and it didn't take me too long, but I knew, I knew, you know, the tone was good. I knew the notes I was hitting weren't flubby. I knew, you know, I just knew exactly how I want, kind of how I wanted my vocals to be. Mm -hmm. I didn't like them and I knew I didn't like them. I was like, no, let's do this. And we did a bunch of vocals. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, and then Brad and Dave did their, their parts through the, um, the, the Kemper. Kemper. Yeah. And what, and, what about uh, your bass? So that was going to be my question that I was talking about earlier. Did you yeah. record a live bass rig or did you go digital like they did? I went right through the Kemper. Oh, come on. <laughs> you guys are killing me with this. The, we were just talking about how big the, that bass sounded on on busted wings, and then yeah. I hear that you're because I I won't say that the like I I think I prefer, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way. I prefer the bass tone on busted wings to mm -hmm. the tone on, and that's not to say that it doesn't sound good on the EP on chasing daylight. No, but, but the the that punchy like tone on busted wings has, and again like. I, obviously, I couldn't tell that you played through a Kemper because that's why I'm asking you, or played mm -hmm. through the, through a digital amp of some kind. But yeah, um, but it just the bass had such a punchy sound on Busted Wings. So did you use the um, the uh, Stingray on on the new album as well? On the I EP? did. You did. Yeah, that was up for debate for a bit. I asked Brad. I said, "Do you?" Because I got a couple other basses I've been using in a few other bands along the way. Yeah, I, I have a really sweet um jazz bass um yep. the the jazz musician reggie hamilton if you look up this model it's pretty cool because it's got a p bass and a jazz bass right uh, pickup configuration and it's, an yeah. act, it's active yeah yeah so it's kind of like an ernie ball yeah and you can switch it and it's just loud man that's and, a really uh, versatile one it's it can do a lot of different tones yeah I think. so i said you know let me what do you want to should i play this bass and get a more fendery classic sound you know because ernie balls i love them but they have a tendency to cut in and out mm. if it's not set up properly if you don't have your bridge set up well and the strings aren't close enough to you know your pickups mm -hmm. it pops in and out yeah and siggy actually set it up for me showed me you know to tilt your bridge here or if you're not getting enough high end here, then just put it up this way. And right. Yeah. That helped a lot. Um, but Brad said, no, man, it's like, you got to go for the classic somehow hollow, you know, yep. the Ernie yep. balls yep. and the Gibsons. You oh, know? for and sure. I said, okay. Yeah. And uh, like, you know, there's a cool story behind the stingray mm -hmm. in finding that again after, yeah. you know, Kent passed away and we did the, the yeah, that's a crazy show. story. Like, yeah. So we went with that. We recorded with the Ernie ball. And, uh, you know, I do agree that it's not as thick or punchy, uh, but it, it does have a classic. I think what it ended up being was exactly what we wanted it to be, mm -hmm. which was the classic epitaph, fat record. Yeah. 
oh, skate it, punk. Yeah, it's it like you know has a skate the skate punk sound for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I'm happy. I'm proud of it. Yeah, it came out really good, man. Yeah, and like I said, the vocals we went in. Me and Dave, uh, we did those. We did all the vocals in one day, which was tough. Mm-hmm. But with my knowledge, you know, going to the um, the singing teacher, and uh, we, I consciously made an effort on these songs to not, you know, lose sight of a good melody and not, um, you know, compromising that for lyrics that meant something to me right i mean obviously chasing daylight is very deep but oh the yeah other three songs we i kind of wrote songs that's that just sounded good right right not necessarily that the lyric don't mean anything to me i just no i made this conscious conscious effort to write lyrics that sounded good right and i could phrase them well because there's certain words i know i say that just i don't know i don't like how they sound when i sing them so right, i just right. Yeah, a lot of the those tracks were it was a conscious effort to sing them properly, sing the melody properly and just be proud of it. Did the did the lyrics come fairly easily to you for this for this uh EP? Or did you like is that something you struggle with like for for writing oh, writing lyrics? I'll or? be honest with you, the demos really helped because what we would do is we would track a song and just do like a guitar part or a rough, you know, dry track of a guitar. Mm-hmm. And then I would drive around with it in my car to work and back mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. day. And then whenever I got the chance, I'd throw it on and I wouldn't necessarily just try it. I would let it, the melody come to me. Mm-hmm. I would let it kind of sink in. So, you know, everybody's got a reason. The first song we did, me and Brad and Dave kind of did a collaborative effort, effort to write those lyrics and do like the melodies and stuff. And Brad came up with like the call and answer part at the end, which is, you know, everybody was involved in that song. The other three songs, I just said to the guys, I was like, I got this. I know what I'm going to do. I want to take this home and I want to make sure that everything sounds tight. The lyrics are good. Yeah. And so the other three songs I came in and I just sang them and they were like, yeah, that was awesome. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I know you wanted to talk about Chasing Daylight. Yeah, I mean, Chasing Daylight is clear. I mean, clearly that's a song written about Kent Abbott, right? So mm-hmm. how, like, was that a tough one for you to for you to write? Or did those lyrics, did you kind of already have that, that idea in your head going into this whole process about writing a, a song in sort of in that vein, sort of? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm not going to lie. It was very tough, very tough to write that song. I had been trying to write that song since 2013 mm-hmm. when Kent died. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a song, we had one song called Heirs to the Throne yep. that we played at Absinthe yep. during our couple shows we did there for the reunion stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But And uh, the, the drummer we had at the time, Scotty Taylor, he was, he recorded a rough drum track to it. Mm. Um, and we were we were going to record the song but it just never ended up happening for some reason our kids were much younger than you know life gets in the way of living yeah and it was just hard um so that song kind of just fell off the face of the earth i i still have the lyrics somewhere but now looking back on those lyrics 
you know, they weren't, they didn't mean they weren't from the heart. Yeah. And the reason why chasing daylight was so hard for me was because I finally felt like I got it. This is, this is a story I want to tell. Mm -hmm. I kind of took a page from Lagwagon's album resolve, which is the whole album is a tribute to their drummer, Derek, who killed himself suicide. Mm. Um, and those lyrics, I don't necessarily, you know, love that lagwag. I love that that lagwagon album now, but listening back, like those lyrics are gut wrenching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you listen to Joey, if you listen to that album and you read the lyrics, every song through and through, it's hard to handle, man. Like, yeah. And I wanted to do something. Not only that, you know, made me feel like it was finally done and coming out. It was, it was something I wanted other people to hear and, and know that we were sincere and this was, it was from the heart. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why that one was the hardest to write. But once I got it going and I got the melodies, I wrote that song um, from, you know, it took me a couple of days. I had tracked the guitar myself just through my iPhone. Mm. And uh, I knew I had something kind of cool there. Um, I, I think I had the chorus first and then, uh, the, the, uh, verses kind of came along and then the bridge is, you know, in there mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, Dave and Brad, once they heard that song at first, cause I was like, just trust me on this one. I, I the guitar part, they're like, okay, you know, this is, and then once I had Brad had, I did the guitar part. We tracked that on a Wednesday. And then what Brad and Dave would do is they would take the song the next day or the day after, and they would track a couple of drum parts oh, and I then see. like a scratch bass track until I could do it again. Uh, okay. So once we had the full song, I said, okay, now I'm going to come in on this Wednesday and I'm going to sing the song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I had the lyric, I had everything down. I was like, you know, I think you guys are going to like this. And uh, once we got that going, and the song was finished, you know, I could tell, you know, Brad, you know, obviously being so close to Kent himself, he was, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're in tears. Everyone, yeah. you know, it was very emotional. Yeah, um, I, believe I couldn't it. wait to get this one out there. Um, Dave, not knowing Kent, you know, he was, Hey, he was super pumped on the song. Like he was like, dude, he's like, you wrote a really good song. Yeah. And then what Dave added to that with his guitar licks and uh, everything else, it just, you know, the harmonic parts, like he just, he crushed it and uh, it just made it that much better. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to ask you about that one is because obviously I, I, I knew Kent. I didn't know him obviously as well as you did. I mean, you grew up with the guy, but you know, from what yeah. I always knew about him, and I said this the last time we, we did the podcast episode together, you know, the, the guy was nothing but uh, good to me. We, we did have some, um, you know, periods of time where we didn't talk for a long periods of time because we weren't, you know, we weren't close friends. We were acquaintances, but he was always great to me. And I think that song, knowing what I know about him, I think that was a very fitting uh, tribute to him. And I think you guys did a great job on that. And uh, you specifically on, on writing those lyrics, like, you know, I knew right away you sent me, I think you sent me Aging Sensation like way before uh, anything mm-hmm. was done and and it wasn't even mastered yet. And it was, and it was really good. And I'm glad he sent me that one and, and not Chasing Daylight because, to experience chasing daylight the way I did once it was all finished, it, it just felt like it felt like the right thing, man. You guys did a great job on that. So congratulations on that for sure. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much that, you know, that means a lot to me first and foremost, and obviously to the band. Um, 
yeah, I know, I know you were close to Kent too. Um, and that was the cool thing. Like he had this way of connecting with people and yeah, just being, you know, larger than life. And that's why I call, you know, in that song, I say, you're a lightning bolt. I yeah. mean, that's yep. what you just struck people. He really was. And, uh, you know, like that lyric is, is, is spot on because he'd walk into a room, you know, we'd, we'd be at a yeah. show waiting for you guys to show up or maybe you were, you had been there, obviously your, all your stuff was there, but you weren't in the room. And then all of a sudden you guys would come in and like, Kent was like, he lit the place up. You knew you guys yeah. had arrived when Kent was there, you know, he was larger than life, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you know, the hard thing is when I put that song out, I was kind of worried about the lyrics. I was worried that maybe his mom and his dad and his brother would not be too happy about in what know, way, some of the, some of the lyrics in there, but, and I never really heard from them about it, which, you know, I was kind of hoping in a way it would be therapeutic for them, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe they weren't impressed. Maybe they just didn't hear it. I never actually ended up asking his yeah. brother. I, I could, but I mean, I'm not going to go out and do that. Um, no, and I don't think it was... I hope they heard it. I hope they, you know, I hope, I hope they know, they know what, you know, Kent meant to us. Yeah. I know his dad does. We talked to, we talked to Frank mm-hmm. and uh, he knows how much we love Kent. Oh yeah. And of course. Um, he's, he loves the song. They tell us all the time. They listen to it all the time. They mm-hmm. love it. And uh, yeah, that one was, it was, uh, it was pretty gut wrenching. Just, yeah. So, you know, just to, when those lyrics came out, I knew I was like, yeah, I had to, that's what had to be on that song. If you wanted to hear it or not. I yeah. Mean, yeah. He was struggling. Like I ran into Kent in 2012 um, at a face to face strong out show. And that was the last time I saw him. Um, but he told me some things at that show that were kind of eye-opening now that he was, you know, manic depressive and he was struggling. And a lot of people didn't believe him because, you know, he would go out on his binges and just be the life of the party. And people were like, no, you're fine, you know. But looking back on a few of the topics he told me that night, I mean, I think he was reaching out for help, you know, and he didn't necessarily come ask for it and you know it's hard to be i think i was you know we were i was 32 at the time family you know my oldest was just two almost two years old at the time and you're not really in that mindset of like oh my friend who i haven't seen for yeah you know eight years isn't is is now needing me you know and we started talking after that you know texting back and forth and you know trying to get something going somehow hollow wise. Um, he, we invited him to Brad's house for, you know, dinners and things like that. And he said he was going to show up and just never did, you know, Brad, I think on our first episode, he talked about actually driving out to Toronto to go see, see Ken and something in his gut just told him to, to, to turn around to don't, you know, don't do this. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know why, you know, this is just the way it is. Um, though it was a, it was a very hard time. You know, when I got the news, mm-hmm. I was, I remember exactly where I was. I was sitting at my desk at work at the time and I flipped on, it was the end of the day, thankfully, because I don't think I could have made it through the, the rest of the day, but I flipped on Facebook and somebody had posted, you know, RIP Kent. Abbott, yeah. And, uh, 
I immediately texted that person because he's a close friend of mine. And I said, is, you know, is this true? Like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, he, he passed away this morning. And uh, I, you know, you, you're just in your work mode. So you're like, yeah, you know, okay, see you later, everybody. And you're trying to hold this in. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you're not really, you're desensitized because a, I hadn't been friend, like we hadn't talked in a long time. And then I got halfway down the highway. I had just talked to my sister and uh, I had to pull into a gas station and I just, I, I, I broke down. I cried. Sure. Still hard to, to talk about. Yeah, um, man. I, I can't imagine it. Like I, like I've never really lost anybody close to me and, and even Kent, like, you know, I and I said this on the first episode too, for those people that haven't listened to that show, like the same thing happened to me. Like I got the news and it was a couple of days before it hit me. And I, at first I thought, ah, I'm fine. Like I didn't know him that well. And the more yeah. I got thinking about it and the more I thought I'm just never going to see him again. Like there was always a chance exactly. that you would, you'd run into him or you maybe somehow Hollow would get back mm-hmm. together and play another show. And then it's so final, you know, like the, That's the, it. the deaths it's, are so final. You're never going to see that guy and you're never going to talk to him again or see It's him, hard, you know? man. Um, when you finally realize that, yeah, that's, you're never going to see that person again yeah. or you're never going to, cause you just think we're going to jam again. We'll be friends again. We'll, we'll have our kids over yep. Yep. and it, and then it just doesn't happen. And I I'll tell you this, man, this past November, um, a good close friend of mine, Raphael, who is my high school buddy, who was in my first band, high school band, uh, broken throttle. We learned so much together. I mean, he had he had struggled he had um throat cancer or sorry he had tongue cancer for about a year and uh the way that he had to go through that was just heart-wrenching and he ended up he ended up passing away in november oh man i'm Um, sorry to hear that yeah yeah you know it's tough man uh that one that one almost hit me harder um just being, and I'm not going to compare the two. I'm not saying they're, yeah, no, no, they're, absolutely. they're equally as hard, but Raph's was, was really tough. Um, and, you know, I talk about the guilty feeling about being here and being with my family. And that was just hard for me to, you know, watch his funeral on, you know, Zoom. It's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. what the hell is happening here? But he had two young kids, um, you know, a wife, and he was the VP of a big insurance company, just starting to kill it, you know, and then, you know, life just takes you, man. And, uh, it's half the, half the reason I'll say he's a, he's a huge inspiration for me making this move to Mexico and just doing what I want yeah. in my life, man. Yeah. because you never know when it's, when that day comes and they say, Oh, you got cancer. It's like, yeah. okay, well, did I do, did I live it? Did I live it as much as I could have? Did I take risks? I mean, and I, I just feel so blessed. And I, I, I talked to Raph, you know, weekly leading up to his, to his death. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was in great spirits. And by the end of it, like they, I won't go into detail yeah, about no, it, but he, yeah. he basically had to talk to you through an iPad. Um, he was in a hospice and, uh, I never got the chance to say goodbye, which is, you know, hard for me because yeah. my friends did a couple of my uh, old bands make 
and uh, friends got to go down and say goodbye. And, uh, you know, he, he just told me, we, we got the chance to say how much we loved each other, how much he meant to me, the memories we shared, you know, it was, it was so awesome. I, I, we got to do a couple of reunion shows with that band back in the day. And, you know, you just always thought there was going to be one more. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just the way it's going to be. But now it's like, Raph, you know, the, the solidest of guys I've ever known is no, no longer here. Yeah. And it's, it's heart wrenching, man. Yeah. I mean, but, life is, life is a very strange roller coaster, And especially when young, young people like that pass, it's just, I think, I think you expect it with the older, with the older people in your life. I mean, it's going to happen, right? <clears throat> Nobody makes it out of this thing alive. We know that. But when you see your friends, younger people, and I think that's why Kent's kind of got to me is because I started thinking like, this guy was my age. Like he wasn't very much older than I was. He was a year or two older than I was. And, and he's just gone. You know what I mean? Uh, and like I said, yeah. it's, it's so final, you know? Yeah. There's, and there's so much, so much unfinished, you know, all we can do is love each other. And this kind of goes back to this pandemic thing. You know, the best we can do is love each other and respect each other and, and be kind, you know, maybe people don't agree with your views, but you don't have to shove it in people's faces. If, somebody's really hurting man like that's all that matters and it, it, you know people are going to get sick people are going to die that's just life yeah but yeah. i mean let's be sensitive um and let's just be kind and and tell people that you love them that's you know Before and have fun yeah. have fun with your life like you can't stay in this little bubble and you know be worried and that's the other you know i wish people would realize that more is that you yeah, there's a pandemic out there, but you can't live in your basement. You can't live in fear. No, certainly not. You gotta, you gotta still try to do the normal things. I mean, yeah, go. Yeah, you gotta see live your you life. Can. You gotta live your life. Not gonna, you know, it's sad. Um, this whole thing is sad. Yeah, but there's light at the end of the tunnel, and we really have to respect each other. And, and there certainly is. There certainly is, man. We, we you know, there's move better. Forward. Yeah, there's better times ahead, and I think, I think we we're all gonna be so happy to be rid of this thing and back to a normal life. I think people are going to be better to each other. You know, during this whole thing right now, I think it's not, it's a little bit ugly at times, but I think going Mm -hmm. forward, I think people are going to be better to each other in the long run because we're going to realize what we've missed out on this whole time. Right. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, I think what we can all take away from this is that, yeah, I mean, we're not mortal. I mean, we're not, or should I say immortal? I don't know which one's right. We we are mortals. We are not immortal. Right. <laughs> well, listen, man, we've been on the line here now yeah. for well over two hours. Uh, yeah. That that might be a good place to end, but there's a question I ask everybody, and, and I, I maybe we'll sure. end it on a bit more of a lighthearted note here. Uh, sure. And I always say I got to ask because that's the name of the podcast. So I got to ask, Mike, what are you yeah. listening to these days? Are there any new bands that are tickling your fancy, or are you listening to the same old stuff you've always listened to? Um, yeah, that's a good, good question. Um, honestly, same old stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That is such a common response for most people. <laughs> I do a deep dive into a band, you know, a, you know, bad religion recently. I just went through their whole catalog and yeah. falling in love with them all over again. I mean, how that band can continuously pump out albums like that is, you know, mind blowing. Yeah. Uh, but new, I mean, um the dirty nail they put out a couple really good records Mm -hmm. lately and uh, i've been constantly spinning those every once in a while uh 
a newer um, pop punky kind of thing comes out. I know Brad touched on the stories so far, yep. and yep. you know I do, I do, I will listen to those guys. Uh, but there's another band, um, Neck Deep. Yeah, Neck Deep. That yep. I recently. I don't necessarily love their back catalog, mm-hmm. but their newest album that just came out, which is uh, All Distortions something. I can't it's even funny. tell you. It's so funny that you bring them up because I've just been, just in the last like two or three nights, like like I was telling you at work, like I got some downtime, right? It's okay. The season yeah. is winding down. So I've got some kind of downtime. There's not much winter to deal with anymore. But right. uh, that that band has popped up on my suggested like YouTube stuff, and I've actually yeah. done a couple. Of, and it sounds pretty yeah. good. It, it is recent stuff that I've been listening to, and it, it is good. And uh, me and Brad always say this. Don't watch the YouTube videos if you're into a newer <laughs> pop punk band because it'll just ruin it. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, yeah, it's your own preference. But newer, I would, you know, they're, they're kind of tickling my fancy a little bit. Um, yeah. To go back to the same old uh, um, SNFU just released a five track EP, you know, uh, since the passing of Chai. Yeah. Um, Mark Belke, the guitar player, got some demos or uh, like four or five demos from their 2004 album uh, in the meantime, in between time. Oh, yeah. 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 It's called um, a, a Blessing But With It A Curse. Oh. And uh, it's just, it's songs that didn't make the record that were unfinished. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Propagandi actually plays guitar and does background vocals on one of the songs oh, nice. uh, called Hail Bomb. And uh, what a what a blessing to have that. I mean, yeah, to think there would be no more awesome yeah. SNFU coming out. Mm-hmm. And for that just to come in, there's this one track called Suddenly. Mm-hmm. And it's like a top five SNFU, like, I don't know how this song didn't make the cut on that record, but yeah, I've been spinning that for, you know, the day for, it came out last Friday and I've been constantly, I, this this label out in um, Brooklyn, Ontario uh, called chase the glory records. I think they're called. Okay. They, uh, they've been pressing all this SNFU back catalog on vinyl and reissuing CDs and doing T-shirts and stuff. So hmm. I think it's also a tattoo shop. So uh, my friend Jamie, who's a huge SH fan, uh, you know, Ardtown. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, he was like, dude, do you want some vinyl or CDs? And I was like, hell yeah, man. So, you know, I was like, cool. So he got me a vinyl, oh, I got nice. a CD, and then I bought the Bandcamp Digital. So I'm like, and 60 bucks invested in this, thing, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's it for me, man. Nice. Well, that's good, man. That's, that sounds like uh, something I need to check out. I'm going to have to go and, and give that a listen. Um, for sure, dude. But listen, man, we've been on the line here well over two hours, so I'm going to let you go. Um, I don't want to take up any more of your time. You got, look like you got a beautiful day out there behind you and I got to get, uh, yeah, man. I got to get into bed soon. So <laughs> get ready for my, my next night shift. Yeah, um, well, let's do this again. I know um, we didn't get to a lot of the yeah, stuff you wanted to touch just, on. But. Just like Brad, we're going to have to do another part. And and like I said, I would love it if I could do these in person with you next time, both yourself and Brad. Even if we For do sure. them individually, I'd like to do them in person because these, these Zoom meetings, yeah. are, they're getting to be, uh, they're, they're, they're great if there's someone that I can't reach out to locally, you know, someone right. that's far away that I can speak to, which I got coming up in, in the next couple of months. But uh, for the people that are close, I, I, w- I really want to do them in person because they seem like they're 
they just flow so much better. You know what I mean? When we're sitting in the same room together. Totally dude. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get back together and face, uh, in person. And then, uh, you yeah. know, maybe me and Brad yeah. could do it together. That would yeah. be fun again. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, everyone knows the history now, if you know, you've listened to the old podcast and the new yeah. one. So I don't want to keep dwelling on that <laughs> stuff. It's interesting. Not though, dwelling. Man. It's, it is fun to talk about. And yeah. I love history. I love that stuff. Yeah. I me too. Me bringing too. it up again. Uh, but it's nice to, you know, uh, dissect a song or yeah, oh yeah, totally. talk about lyrics. I know you wanted to talk about you know the Witch of Glen Cedar Gate and <laughs> well, maybe I we'll, had to think just real, I had to think hard about that one. I was real like, quickly, hey. we should talk about that just real quick because I know that you <laughs> that line it always cracked me up. And what yeah, is it? I have it here somewhere. Hang on a second. It's okay. Um, here it is. So the the line in the Witch of Glen Cedar Gate goes in disguise, a witch brought forth yeah. by all the darkness in the night. The spell that I was cursed upon left me screaming with incredible height. <laughs> so was that meant to be a funny line, or did I just laugh at that every time I hear it just because I'm stupid? <laughs> oh, that's so bad. Cringy. Um, no, it's not cringy. It's it's great. There was this girl. Um, I forget her. It doesn't matter. Uh, she was from Mississauga, and I had taken a fancy to her. She had these blonde dreadlocks and... Uh, I got to go to her place. So her place she lived in was Glen Cedar Gate. Oh. So that's I okay, Glen Cedar Gate. That's why that's called that. And then <laughs> all right. you know, we're we're hanging out and uh all of a sudden, you know, I knew she was kind of odd, <laughs> but I liked her. But uh <laughs> all of a sudden she dead seriously uh says to me, You know I'm a witch, right? <laughs> Yikes. And I was like, oh. Okay, do you know, do you still want to make out? <laughs> um, As any young man might say. No, so that's what that song is about, The Witch of Glen Cedar Gate. Yeah. Um, no real, n- no real reason for that line, just kind of flew in there. I think it was nighttime hit, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, I'm I'm with a witch, and I got to get out of here <laughs> screaming, and uh just stupid lyrics, well, it's, man. Nothing. It's a good line, man, because it makes me laugh every time I hear it, and it, it's and it fits yeah. the song so well. It just it gives the song sort of this almost like a lighthearted feel, right? Like yeah, you hear that, the title that, and it sounds spooky, but then you you listen to the tune and it's pretty lighthearted. Yeah, nothing serious about that song at all. I mean, yeah. um, those lyrics though, like playing that song live and singing those two choruses. Yeah, it's a great chorus in that tune. Or, sorry, the chorus is fine. I mean, the verses, the two verses. Oh, right. They're, for me, I don't know why. I I have to re I have to practice those lines over and over again because I I always screw them up. Like, oh really? Yeah, I have no idea what's coming, and I don't know why. It's not like they're difficult to sing. It's just just a brain block or something on those ones. Yeah, me and Brad actually have some acoustic versions of these songs. Oh that wow! I haven't I haven't sang on yet, and. Uh, the Witch of Glen Cedar Gate is probably the one that I would really like to get out there someday because yeah, yeah. it sounds so cool. Nice. Um, I would so love to hear we'll, that. Yeah, maybe we'll do that one when I get back in town. Fucking right. Yeah. Okay, All man. Right, I think that's a great place to end it. Um, don't go For away sure. just yet. I want to say a proper goodbye to you after I do the little wrap-up here, so so stay put. Um, okay. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in. I think this is episode 14 
of uh, the I Got Asked podcast with uh, my good friend, Mike Castron. Mike, thank you again for being here. Really appreciate it. Um, if you guys like what you heard today, um, please uh, like the, sh- like the uh, podcast Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. And uh, reach out to me at uh, igapodcast at gmail.com. Um, I want to hear your feedback. If you guys uh, like what you heard, if you didn't like what you hear, heard, um, you know, anything. Get, provide the feedback. I want to hear it. And I want uh, lots of motivation to keep doing this. And uh, look forward to episodes uh, every two weeks, at least for the next couple of months. And then after that, I don't know for sure. But uh, at least for the next little bit, I'm going to try hard to keep this stuff coming out consistently. So if you've been listening all along, thank you very much. I really appreciate um, you guys being with us. And uh, we'll see you again on the next episode. Take care.